Operation Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories and getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host, Christopher Dean. Not the mama. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Chemical parenting, the domestic doping of children. Does our society really focus on raising children the way God intended, or have agendas been put in place to usurp the role of the parent while offering toxic solutions that destroy the nuclear family? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Ladies, gentlemen, those of us who have kids that cause accidents in the dark and those of us who have some accidents in the dark that cause kids, no matter what your current situation is, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we like to take you beyond conspiracy theories and getting you right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, listen, I know it's Wednesday. You probably looked at the title. You said chemical parenting, the domestic doping of children. What is going on? What are those guys over there at Operation Red Pill going to talk about today? Well, listen, people, I assure you, we've got a few things to get into. Now, we might talk about the cognitive dysfunction of mental disorders or we might get into the effects of adverse childhood experiences on brain development. We might possibly touch on the rather controversial issue of whether or not the pharmaceutical industrial complex is playing a role in the mass shooting phenomenon that we're experiencing today. And somehow, through the grace of God and the magic of digital technology editing, we might be able to put all of that together into a rather rational episode. No promises, but we hope to do that. But before we can work our, lack of a better term, digital magic, I need you to help me find out whether or not my co-host is lost in the podverse. He's the only one of us that's actually taken his Genesis 128 mandate to heart. Now, see, some of y'all said Genesis 128. What's that about? That's the expansion mandate. See, some of us got to read our Bibles a little bit more. So we would know that section dealt with be fruitful and multiply. But be that as it may, he could be busy right now fulfilling that very mandate. I hope not. But let's see if we can find. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Help me find my co-host, Mr. Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? Man, how you doing, baby? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. You're doing real good? Well, not as good as maybe you suggested, you know, executing <laughs> that uh, mandate. But, uh, 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 that's good. Know. That's good, because I don't want to interrupt you in the midst of you doing God's work. You, you, you ain't busy doing his work? No, not at the moment. Well, not that not work. The, okay, I not mean, that this work. is God's work, too. There, there, there you go. There you go. I'm cool with that. Man, we got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on in the world. I'm excited. I remember the first time, or like what spawned this whole idea for the podcast is you sent me a lecture. Do you remember that? Just randomly, do I remember sending you a lecture? Uh, you know, on I one love, hand, I, I want to say what, yes. Hang, wait, 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 wait. And on the other hand, no, Christopher, I don't remember just sending you a lecture. For people that, that can't appreciate our, our relationship and the joy that I get out of the 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 intro to these shows where I'm like, hey, do you remember? Given the vast amount of information that goes between the two of us that I just vaguely have this 
hey, because we've only ever done one episode before and we've only ever shared one lecture, do you remember when you sent me the lecture for this episode? You know, I, I love the fact <laughs> that you get so many chuckles out of just irritating me. It's I'm not doing it to intentionally irritate that you. That doesn't but like make in it my, any better. In, in my, I don't want to call it like giddy childishness, but as the younger brother and my excitement for the episode, I'm like, bro, bro, do you remember when we did this thing? And you're like, uh, no, you always set me up to sound <laughs> decrepit and some somewhere close to, to to having some measure of dementia that I'm not quite tuned into this level of reality, so I don't remember everything. Like I'm halfway in between dementia and Alzheimer's. It's the way you set this up constantly. And I, I don't appreciate it. Well, I kind of saw it coming this time. So that's why I wanted to give a little backstory, a little bit of context to why it's funny and why you probably don't remember this. Because given the fact that we had to update the notes, it's been maybe a year, right? Since we uh, did this one, it's been a while. Well, since since the 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 seed of an idea, right? Yeah. When you sent me that lecture on AD, ADD or ADHD and, and what it does to the brain and all that. That lecture, yeah. Okay, that I remember. You just said yeah, I remember sending you a lecture. No, I didn't even think I didn't even take it as a lecture. But yeah, I remember that uh, that talk on on ADHD. It was like a phenomenal uh, piece. I don't remember how I came across it. Okay, okay. But yeah, that kind of started the the whole idea for this episode. Yeah, I think somebody referenced it in a podcast that I was listening to. Okay, I think. okay. Um, no, 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 no. It was a TikTok that had oh, come up. Okay. There was a clip from a TikTok that I was like, that's fascinating. Where, Where's the rest of this? You know, where's the rest of this talk? Gotcha. And looked it up on YouTube. And then I was blown away. And I remember sending it to you like, you got to listen to this. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. But yeah, going forward, I'll try to to start these episodes a little better so you don't sound decrepit. Or yeah, I didn't say decrepit. Demen- dementi- no, no, no. Decrepit is what you just added. So now there's a third issue that I got to deal with. Thank you, sir. Uh, my bad. My bad. But yeah, so chemical parenting, the domestic doping of children. It's amazing to me the the influx of mental disorders that we see across children in America today. Did you know that manic depressive children has gone up 4,000%? In the last 10 years? Are you serious? Well, what would that be? Like 400% a year? Like, I mean, if you're just breaking it up evenly? Yeah, that, that's crazy. I, I When I was going over the notes, um, I saw that t- statistic. And the only thing I could think of was that old Jimi Hendrix song. Which one? Manic Depression. It goes like this. It's amazing when you listen to music, how it creates this catalog in your head. Like I hadn't heard that song in over over a decade. Okay. And immediately reading the notes, I'm like, manic depression and children's gone up four thousand percent. Manic depression. <laughs> I was like, I probably shouldn't have That's a soundtrack funny. to that statistic. 
<laughs> you can remember that, but not sending me one <laughs> the talk. random talk. Yeah, yeah, I can remember that because this provides context. Something you don't like to give me. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm trying to do better. Mm, we'll I'm trying work to do on better. that. Uh, but beyond manic depressives, uh, ADHD was first diagnosed not until 1997. And now they say that one in 10 youths are diagnosed with ADHD. So we went from nothing all the way up until 1997. And from then till now, we have 10% of our children. Now, does that ever make you question the diagnosis? It does. Okay. It does for sure. Because it makes me wonder, prior to 1996, what did we have? And it could have been that ADHD was a thing. It was just undiagnosed. We didn't have the language to describe it. Or mm-hmm. it could be the second thing that I wonder, which is that maybe something occurred in the late 90s that caused a rapid onset of ADHD. Okay. Do you know, do you know which way that you lean? I am actually torn. And here's the reason why. Okay. Um, not to just start off this episode with a, with a huge, you know, bang, but, you know, we've talked about in prior episodes, uh, I think episodes one and two, we talked about the ill effects of the, the educational system. And uh-huh. I would believe it, at its core, it's been demonically inspired or at the very least demonically taken over and that there mm-hmm. have been some, some very destructive protocols put in place. Such as right. sight reading. Okay. Right? But go, referencing the book, The Crimes of the Educators, one of the things they mm-hmm. talked about was that the Ill, one of the ill effects of, of promoting a sight reading-based literary literacy program is that it helps to produce ADHD. Correct. Yes. And I know that that protocol has been in place since at least the early 1900s, right? Uh, it's been a while since I read the book. They've been trying to implement it for at least that long. Yeah, because it went back to Rockefeller. Right, right. Rockefeller, General Board of Education, um, and and John Dewey. Right. So that's early 1900s. Yeah, but I just I know that they also received a lot of pushback. So where it got actually instituted like nationwide or whatever, I'm I'm not sure, but they've definitely been working on it since then. Got you. I am thinking that it was instituted nationwide prior to 1997. Yeah, I would say definitely yes. Right. <laughs> I, I got to think maybe mm-hmm. let's 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 be generous. Let's say 50s, 60s. Right. They started okay. trying to do it in the early 1900s, 1920s, 1930s, somewhere around there. Let's say 20, 30 years later, 50s, 60s, it, it gets picked up and becomes part of the mainstream. Um. It would have taken, what, 30 years for for it to be diagnosed, 30, 40 years later? Yeah, that's about right. Uh, That that makes me think that we probably already had it, and maybe we we didn't have the language for it. However, with some of the the research we're doing and some of the research we have been doing, it's becoming more apparent that there's also a, a chemiological component to the onset of ADHD. Yes, yes. So I don't know which way I, I lean. I, I think it's more of a both and instead of either or for me. Okay, 
Okay. I think it was I think it was around prior to us having language to describe it. I also think it's accelerated. Okay, that makes sense. Things that are being done today. So since we're just uh, interviewing you at the beginning of this episode, do I you don't think know that why? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why this happened either. But do you think that we are um, over diagnosing or under diagnosing? That is a because great the per- question. what were you going to say? Because thanks. What? Oh, I was just going to say because of the parameter seems so ambiguous, you know, not being able to focus and whatever, um, and that anyone can just take a child and be like, oh, yeah, they have these issues, so they must have ADHD. I think that we're not just over-diagnosing. I think we're also misdiagnosing. Okay. Okay. Now, here's what I mean by this. Again, just my my personal opinion. Um the way I understand these things work is when you're you're dealing with um, psychiatric issues, you highlight a series of symptoms and then normally attribute those symptoms to a condition. And you have to mm-hmm. get the buy-in of the psychiatric, psychiatric board or industry or whatever. So people recognize, sure, you have these levels of symptoms, then you probably have this condition. Yes, yes. Okay. I don't know if I necessarily think that that's the condition. It's just what we've agreed the condition to be. Okay. That makes right, sense. So that, that's one issue I have. Second issue I have is that in Western medicine, spiritual issues are often relegated to chemical problems. Okay. So someone once said that, that, when you are dealing with mental issues in the West, you're taught that these are clinical problems in the East. You're taught. These are spiritual problems that present clinical symptoms. Okay. Okay. Totally different way of approaching it. It is. Right. So in the West, we're going to give you medicine or, or the additional cocktail of chemicals to try to address what we think is fundamentally a chemical imbalance. We mm-hmm. are not going to address spiritual roots that can produce chemical imbalances. So that's the, the second issue I have. And then the third okay. and final issue I have, <laughs> just again off the top of my head, is the fact that certain natural attributes are being relabeled and defined as clinical problems. Like it's, all, it's very common to, to label boys, specifically African-American boys, as having attention deficit disorder when they're very active and it's a normal component of, of boyhood for the mind to be that active and the body to be that active. But when they're put into a educational system that is designed to break down their natural tendencies, they get labeled as being out of order. So because they're, they're more resistant to the brainwashing of the institution. I like the way you phrase that. Yes, yes. Continue on. <laughs> then you are, um, there must be something wrong with you. Exactly. So now let's drug you. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. And that has a, a combined effect on the males in our society. Not just in the quote unquote African American community, but I mean males across the board. Because this is happening. While it may happen, uh, I think at a greater rate with African-American boys, it still is happening to boys all across the board. Mm-hmm. We're being mislabeled or misdiagnosed, in my opinion. 
and introduced into a a pharmaceutical industrial complex that profits off of off of our drugging. And that mm-hmm. in and of itself has got some some very catastrophic issues that we'll talk about later. Right. Yeah, we're going to get into a lot of this later. Before we do, though, I do want to put out a, what is it, a PSA? Yeah, I like to call those disclaimers, um, but yeah, 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 yeah. PSA. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Disclaimer. Um, we're not giving medical advice as, as we discuss the issues with... Um, diagnosing an issue and giving the medication. If you're on medication, definitely don't come off of it, you know, without help from your medical provider or, um, uh, practitioner. Uh, we're just trying to expose some of the underlying issues to help people navigate this better. But, but, um, yeah, not medical advice. And I don't want it to sound like we are attacking anyone with a mental condition or anyone who has a child or, or, that has been diagnosed. Right, right, right. Yeah. We're just trying to uh, take this idea, you know, side it in and make sure we're really getting the, the correct view of this whole thing. And we, we might have some stuff wrong, uh, but hopefully it'll be some, some benefit beneficial information. I think it's good. Man. Thank you. So getting into it, one of the really interesting things that I appreciated about that talk that you sent me that kind of spurred this whole thing is he actually breaks down what is happening in the brain to, to make ADHD an issue. And we'll start with ADHD and then we'll, we'll kind of pull back a little bit. But he says that it's not actually an attention issue. It's an executive function issue. I was going to say something uh, just a moment okay. ago with that I... I I left out. You know, it's funny when you when you're asked these questions on the spot, you have to answer, but you also have to <laughs> you almost have to give a disclaimer because there's a there's something you say, but then there's what you didn't say. And normally, the what okay. you didn't say is huge. You're like, oh man, yeah, well, okay. I, I should have said that. The the only thing I wanted to add was that you know you, when you were asking me about ADHD, do I think that you know everybody has it or not? I, I'm not trying to dismiss the fact of saying it's not a real thing. Like I, I do okay. think people can have it, but I also think that we, yeah, we probably overdiagnose and say too many people have it, and at the same time misdiagnose. Okay, that but makes not sense. dismissing ADHD altogether and saying it's not a thing. Okay, that's not that's not uh, something that that's not a position I have. Okay, because that is an idea that's circulating um, around the internet. Okay. Because it's a lot of people think because of the way that's diagnosed, because there's no test for it, that a lot of people are just making up that your child doesn't fit in this box. Let's give them drugs. It must be ADHD. Which to me, that would be a misdiagnosis. But like we're going to talk about with ADHD being a problem of executive functioning, I do think that executive functioning issues exist. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. But yeah, so executive function is primarily handled by your the prefrontal cortex. And it handles things like brain fluidity, which would be like memory and processing speed, brain organization, uh, brain flexibility, your ability to, what does Plato say? The, um, it's the mark of an educated mind to uh, entertain an idea without accepting it. That's the one who said that? I think it was Plato. Okay. Yeah. So that would be where brain flexibility comes from, that you can look at that, you know, oh, I can appreciate that part of it, but that's, you know, not buying into an idea altogether. 
And then brain control, which is like self-monitoring, you know, watching the thoughts that you're having, making sure that they're not taking you um, down a path or, or whatever. <laughs> what? I was like, I think I have brain control issues. Because I constantly watch the thoughts that go by, but oh, that was wild. That was a crazy. <laughs> Where did that one come from? Who is And you're just watching. Well, that's all you you're, said. You're not- you're like, watch them. I'm like, oh, I watch them. I'm working on stopping it. <laughs> well, that section is under brain control. So as you're monitoring, the prefrontal cortex is supposed to help you control that. Fun fact. It's interesting that yeah. one of the hardest bones in your, your skull is your forehead. Oh, really? Which protects your frontal lobe and the prefrontal cortex. Interesting. Yeah, you ever see like with boxers, you know, when they... Uh, some of the boxers, if you were in like a hand-to-hand uh, confrontation and somebody punches at your punches at your head and you lower your head and they hit, you know, your your forehead, you can break their whole uh-huh. hand. Okay. One swing just because it's, it's that hard. So it's interesting. It interesting. offers that level of protection given how significant the higher order uh, processing and executive functioning skills that are, that are embedded behind that part of the brain exists. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, fun fact. And uh, yeah, that was good. Dr. Erica Warren, she talks about the uh, frontal lobe being like the conductor for the rest of the brain, as it handles all the input and output sensory information to the other parts of the brain. Okay. So if you imagine if you have a conductor that's trying to get all of the pieces of an orchestra working together to make music, and he's limping or he can't move his arm or whatever, and you get the different sections of the orchestra getting off beat, playing different parts and all of that, it can cause a lot of um, unwanted side effects. Uh, The other thing that's really interesting about the uh, prefrontal cortex is that it is one of the last portions of the brain to become fully developed. Now, we could argue you know, whether it be a diet or chemtrails or whatever that's actually slowing the um, maturing process of the brain. I'm not sure about that, but the, the latest studies show that even a 20 year old brain shows, um, some parts of the prefrontal cortex, not completely matured yet. And that's crazy to think about. Um, exactly. Especially when you consider what's been happening in society recently, if the prefrontal, if the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, even at 20, I think it doesn't fully develop until about 30 years of age. 25, yeah. Excuse me, 25 to 30 years. Um, right. If that's the case, then why are we, we asking children what their, per, what their preference is, their gender preference? Mm-hmm. And actually, how could you even know? Like, how, how could you develop? I mean, how could you develop an idea like that when your prefrontal cortex is not even fully developed? You couldn't even judge the ramifications of that decision. It almost seems terroristic just to ask children. You could at least, you know, get an idea and put them on a list and say, okay, well, once you get older, we'll circle back and we'll, we'll just check and see if you're still feeling this way after we know your brain fully develops. We won't even let you have alcohol at 18, (laughs) but we'll let you make that decision Mm -hmm. at five, six and not tell parents. Yeah. I think some places as young as three. You don't even have a command of the English language. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's, that that's, I mean, 
I don't want to. That that's nefarious, right? That's evil. Oh yeah. And I don't think it's accidental. The people oh, that do this, they understand the stuff that we're talking about today. They understand the the developmental process of the brain. They know what parts of your brain have fully developed and the 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 cognitive function responsibility of those underdeveloped parts. It's mm-hmm. not an accident that they pick that and they pick those ages to ask those type of life altering questions to. Right. Because once you make those changes at that young age, I mean you've you've created an issue, a lifelong issue. Exactly. And they're way more susceptible to that. Yep. Cuz a lot of them don't even have the ability to think. Like I think it's the um the process developmental process of thinking. Um, you, you begin with just overt public behavior, right? So children act out. I don't want to say act out like they're doing something wrong, but they're just behaving directly with other people, right? Mm -hmm. Laughing, screaming, crying, playing or whatever. And then they begin to learn from that interaction, like from the, the effect that their behavior has on the outside world around them, they begin to register as, um, I guess thinking, is when their thinking begins, is seeing how their behavior is affecting their outside world. And then only after that do you get like that internal dialogue or internal thinking where you can communicate with yourself and have private, I guess um, this guy calls it private behavior, but the things that happen in your head, like you you imagine yourself doing something, Mm -hmm. but you don't actually have to do it. Like, the, like you were saying, asking these kids, you know, is this what you want to do? And like inter- over-sexualizing them, they don't have a private behavior section of their brain that's developed yet because their prefrontal cortex is not developed. So they don't have, they can't go, well, what would I want to do with this gender? Or what would I want to do with that gender? It becomes that direct outward behavior because they don't have the internal spot developed yet. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And, and, and this guy's, you said it was a talk. I thought it was a lecture. Potato, potato. And he focuses specifically on ADHD, which is kind of what got us here. But a, um, a damaged or a non-functioning frontal lobe is going to have this issue across the board, whether it is specifically ADHD. Um, because there's he doesn't necessarily detail it out, and I'm not sure what the brain mapping shows of what the specific damage has to be or dysfunction has to be in the prefrontal cortex to cause the specific disorder, ADHD. But knowing how the brain works, there can be several, like it's a a spectrum of damage. Like it doesn't have to be complete ADHD to have some malfunction before you get there. And that would impair anything that the prefrontal, the prefrontal cortex's job is right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was really interesting the uh, the way that he the way that he breaks it down and the way that some of this comes to um, fruition because he says that females that have issues with this prefrontal cortex or this frontal lobe communication they don't actually start exhibiting exhibiting um, damaging behaviors until age thirty and I think a lot of that has to do like you were saying with the just the normal development of the brain. How can you know if something is damaged until it's complete and then not working the way that it's supposed to? But the other thing I thought was interesting that when you you have a dysfunction in your prefrontal cortex, it distorts your perception of time. 
Hmm. The, the, the one thing that he, that he said that really stuck out, because I might be a little bit like this, and I know my mom is like this. My poor, wonderful mother keeps getting thrown out in the podcast. But she's always said for a long time, I work better under pressure, right? Like the night before, you know, we call them procrastinators or whatever. You know, you're cramming for the exam the night before, all of that. Well, a lot of this is because if you don't have full functioning frontal lobe, then your ability to... Um, process over a length of time gets damaged. So the, the more um, immediate things become, the more real they become. So if you have something that's a, a week away, oh, that's fine. It's a week away. I don't need to worry about it. And then it gets, you know, as it gets closer and then all of a sudden it's the night of now, all of a sudden it makes sense. And now I can interact with this, with this information. That seems to be a bit problematic. It is. And you're not wrong when you make the statement, um, I work better under pressure, but it's not because you're actually achieving a higher level of performance under pressure. It's that you're suffering a lower level of performance without pressure. That's, that's the thing. Cause you should be able to do that a week out and not have to wait until the night of. I remember suffering through that, uh, through college. Seemed like I would oh, really? always wait to like the last minute to write a paper. And I remember like looking at some of the other students that were getting better grades. And I'm like, when do you write your paper? And they, they would do the stuff a few weeks ahead of time. And I tried okay. it and I just had zero motivation. And then the fact that it has to be done tonight, suddenly all of the thought juices are flowing. And I can think and I can write. And I'm like, oh yeah, I tried this two weeks ago. I couldn't, I had nothing. Somehow pressure just gives you what you need to get it done. And it's been funny uh, going into my adult years. I've had to try to unlearn that. Okay. Because it became a crutch for me. What, just putting it off until the last minute? Well, yeah, because I do such a great job under pressure. Okay. I got you. Yeah, I'll try it without the pressure, but it just doesn't motivate me to do it. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, so God's so, like, so what did, why do you have to have a thorn in your behind to do what you need to do? <laughs> uh, that's a tough question to answer. Because <laughs> it's incriminating. It really no is. what you say. Right? No matter what you say. I mean, do you enjoy the thorn in your behind? No. <laughs> Well, why don't you just do what you need to do minus the thorn? Uh huh. Well, fine. Here's the thorn. I don't like the thorn. Well, then start learning to do it without it. And it took some time to learn how to do that. Okay, but you were able to get there. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was able to learn that. But what I, the the interesting thing to me is that God had to step in and fix an area, mature an immature part of me. Interesting. Instead of just allowing okay. that to reside and just saying, well, that's just how you are. And it, it okay. started with a question, interestingly enough, which starts a cognitive <laughs> process, right? Why yeah, yeah. do you have to have a thorn in your behind for you to do what you need to do? I don't know, God. <laughs> Is that what that sensation has been this whole time? I thought it was the creative process. No, <laughs> that strange sensation you feel in the seat of your pants is my foot and you're behind trying to get you to do what you need to do that you could do earlier and remanage your life. 
you can manage your life more proficiently. Now that required new skill sets. It required mm-hmm. me learning yeah. some new things. It required me practicing those things till you get better at it. But and it also required a rewiring of my mind. Yes. Yes. Right. But it, these things are possible. Unfortunately, yes. I'm glad you said it, that. It is, and I, I think that unfortunately, it is easy for us as as human beings to dismiss areas of underdevelopment or immaturity as though this is how we are. Mm-hmm. And so yep. it is no, it is not possible for me to change. And you must yeah. combining that with this erroneous idea of love that says that or modern idea of love that says you have to accept me as I am. Yeah. Then we just stay in the same place and the errors get perpetuated. And unfortunately I think this stuff is, is able to transfer genetically, but also behaviorally. Mm-hmm. So you can pass down immature behaviors or underdeveloped behaviors and processes to your children and your children absorb it from you as normal. I thought we yeah. always wait to the last minute. That's that was my whole childhood. <laughs> you know, it might be what they yeah. say. I mean, that's how that's how dad did it. Or that's how mom did <laughs> that's it. That's how America right? does it. <laughs> and that's how we're gonna continue to do it from here on out. <laughs> Right, and then you perpetuate this issue from g- generationally, and that mm-hmm. can have some very dangerous uh, connotations, especially if we're dealing with this idea of malfunctioning behavior. Right, if you perpetuate yes. malfunctioning a malfunctioning lifestyle, you can welcome in spirits that exploit that. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. If you're not going to do it the way that the Almighty intended it for it to be done, and if you're going to partner in your own destruction, well, hey, that's half the job for us. Let's go on ahead yeah. and see if we can keep this going and not only keep it going in your life, let's keep it going in your children's life and your children's children. Let's see if we uh-huh. can transfer this level of chaos. You know, that that talk that we're referencing, one of the things that stuck out with me was the fact that the guy talked about how when you're beginning to talk to people who have suffered from this, these issues, this um, impairment of their executive order functioning in their mind. He said, you all, you have to do it and almost do it with counseling at the same time, because there's a huge yeah. emotional current that comes online when people begin to process what they've had to experience and endure in their life because of this problem, how many lost mm-hmm. opportunities there were, you know, jobs that you couldn't get, relationships that you couldn't you couldn't experience or have, people who didn't want to deal with you because of your idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. And it, that comes that realization usually comes later. So, like early twenties um, or teenagers tend to think that the world is unfair, right? And it just doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. So then, when they come to that realization that oh, this actually has to do with things that I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, that comes with a lot of a lot of baggage. So so when you're addressing it, when you have to look at, oh, maybe I've been doing something wrong for decades. Yeah, that comes with a lot of baggage and takes time to process through all of it. Right. That. And that that could take you into a grief a grief mode. And like I said, spirits spirits do watch. They do monitor. They do. There are spirits assigned to each and every one of us to just study us, 
to get intel on us. And it's mm-hmm. it would be foolish for a a kingdom, a, a, a an army that is hellbent on trying to bring about your destruction to have this intel on you that not only does your brain not function properly, but you're also feeling some kind of way about it and not exploit that. And yeah, if it creates right, harm right. and chaos in your own life, let's see if we can shift gears on this and, and gain some uh, momentum in the bloodline of a person in this family. If yeah. we can transfer this whole thing, not to mention if you do become a parent, there's a opportunity to mismanage the role of a parent, which can create additional trauma in the life of a child leading again to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. It really is a vicious little cycle when you look at it. It is. And, and it's set up to be that way. That's what the enemy wants. Exactly. So you, you had an issue with time management that God was able to help you with. What about delayed gratification? Cause that's another thing. Yeah. Not, not that I'm putting you in the hot seat. Christopher, you there? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of static on the line. I thought we prayed about that beforehand. Uh, apparently it's back. <laughs> okay. Uh, did I have issues with gl- delayed gratification? Mm-hmm. Um, in some respects, yes. Okay. Again, it's something I had to teach myself. Yeah. It's one of the things Jordan Peterson actually says, um, philosophically or cognitively, depending on how you're looking at it, separates the way that humans function from the way that animals function. Okay. There's not a lot of delayed gratification. Now, I mean, there is the the ant or whatever, you know, that, that stores food for the winter or the chipmunk, depending on which analogy that you're using. Um, but typically in animal behavior, there's not a lot of delayed gratification. Okay. Um, so that's one of the things that if we're able to master at least this is Peterson's point that if you're able to master that as a human being, it gives you a huge advantage because it's one of the things that we do more than any of the other animals. One of the things that separates us from a cognitive perspective. So I'll put it this way. I I can do it. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's scriptures about that. I'm not sure anyone actually thoroughly enjoys delayed gratification, but being able to do that is important. And that's one of the things that is hampered by damage or dysfunction in the prefrontal cortex, frontal lobe. Yeah, I can do it. And there are different places where I can see in my life I I execute that. There are also other places where I can see it's still a challenge for me. But the worst thing is when there's delayed gratification and the gratification doesn't pay off. Okay, yeah. That causes me a huge emotional issue. Because then it ties into like waiting. Mm -hmm. And it's seared into your emotional memory. Now, the next time you need to wait, you have this. Mm -mm. It didn't work out last time. It sucked last time. That's interesting. So I paid all that price in waiting only for. (laughs) You're like, yeah, that sucks. That's like you you really think that you're about to have this huge firecracker and you get a you get a sparkler. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it bothers me on that level. Like you ever know the firecrackers that you don't get a boom. You just get a. You're like, where's the boom? Uh huh. There's, yeah. There's no. I I need the boom. Where's the boom? I I hate that. <laughs> and you had to wait the whole time for the fuse. Yeah, it is a real down. issue for me. Uh, but it's also really cool when it pays off because that teaches me it's worth the wait. 
And I think our society is set up so much to give instant gratification. It is. That's the other thing that I was going to say. Like it, um, you know, for women not seeing the negative side effects of frontal lobe dysfunction until their thirties. It's interesting that delayed gratification is part of that. And our, like you were saying, the, the whole society is set up that you don't even have to practice delayed gratification. Everybody wants to give you the thing now. You can have it delivered overnight, tomorrow, stream it now. Don't wait for commercials, you know. It's crazy. Like, I'm thinking back and, uh, high school. Like, here's, a, I think, a great example. Might be a bit too much information. <laughs> um, Let's hear it. <laughs> so high school, you go through puberty, right? This is the segue. You go, okay. You go through. I like it. <laughs> We're going deep. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, middle school, high school time, you go through through puberty, and you have all of these different things come online biologically and psychologically, right? Interested mm-hmm. in the opposite sex, all of that. I remember I had a, a young lady I was trying to date at the time, and it took a while to actually dater but through that whole time being a red-blooded male you could imagine all sorts of things you know you could imagine what what your what would it be like to kiss her but uh-huh. it took a while from the very first time i had that thought to the actual moment i was able to live that out okay. my mind being as dynamic as it is in the midst of the first kiss i am processing i can't believe i'm kissing this chick this is amazing <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. I can't believe it. And the weight paid off. Now, I don't know. I'm going to say okay. it was the most magnanimous kiss ever. But right. delayed gratification from that perspective, it was it was worth it. Okay. Okay. Right? And so it teaches you to appreciate the process and that there can be a, a, a good payoff to justify the weight unfortunately living in a culture that teaches you instant gratification like if i had kissed her on day one it wouldn't have felt the same right right yeah i think i had a similar experience when i was 15 what was his name wow that's messed up (laughs) i don't like you anymore similar experience the joke popped into my head i was telling you a moment ago those thoughts that run through my mind i saw it go by and i was like oh that one we're gonna have to use that one this christopher set me up great for this you need more brain control bro (laughs) but the instant gratification on that dude was great i couldn't wait that long for that you know you know how difficult it was to wait just those three nanoseconds that's funny but no that's 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 a good um segue into to the next part of delayed gratification because it's not all um put it and lay away and you get it in three weeks or whatever mm-hmm. a lot of the the delayed gratification comes in the midst of uh conversations with people so if if you don't or can't process delayed gratification very well you're more you're you're liable to lash out emotionally more I feel this way. I have to say it. So you have the time management come in and then you have the delayed gratification issue that why would I not say this, right? Why would I hold my tongue to save peace in the relationship or whatever, you know, lashing out and even risky behaviors, speeding, those types of things are all tied up into delayed gratification. Interesting. Yeah. Now I'm thinking for myself, just reflecting back, I can see different 
mechanisms that God used to teach me these things. Okay. For instance, humor requires a fair amount of self-control. Yeah. It, it honestly does. Even if you're the person who thinks fast and you say what's on your mind and it's funny, when you mm-hmm. get into more advanced styles of humor, there's the setup for the joke, there's the execution of the joke, and there's timing. And you have to time it all okay. right to get the laugh. The laugh is the payoff. Sometimes okay. the laugh is better the longer you have to wait for it, like in the setup process. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, why are you cracking up? No, I'm cracking up because my brother has this this joke. What is it, like anti-humor? Have you heard of those? Uh, like the jokes that actually aren't funny? Uh, like dark but humor? But depending on how... Th- no, it's like anti-humor. So he it, it, he has this joke about clams in, in, in the seashore or something like that. Okay. And here here's what happens. You're you're typically in a, in a group of friends, and some people have heard this story before, so they start laughing. They're like, oh, so this joke must really be funny. And it's this really long, drawn-out story that doesn't go anywhere. There's no punchline, and it's not funny. Okay. It, it's actually funny. It's funnier for the person telling the joke and anyone else that's heard it. <laughs> because they know it's not funny. And the whole time you have this person on the line and they're just waiting, you know, you get in that stance that you're prepared to laugh. You know, you want the punchline right. and just right on the edge of that for as long as you can. And depending on it, you know, you got to feel the room and you just tell the story the longer and you just get them right there. And then the story is over and everyone's laughing. Interesting. Yeah. I, th- I think it's called anti-humor. Yeah. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> you probably no, you wouldn't like it and it when it happened to me i was irritated until i saw the opportunity to tell the joke to somebody else and the other people in the room that have heard it that laugh helps set it up for you okay and it's hysterical so that just you means your tell entire family is a bunch of sadists <laughs> that's all i'm getting from that story right there yes but <laughs> to your point <laughs> The lo- a lot of times, the longer you can draw out that the end of the joke for that humor, it does make it funnier, mm-hmm. whether it's for the person telling the joke or the person hearing it. <laughs> Music is another area that was used to teach delayed gratification. Okay. Like if, if, if the song you're playing is locked into a time signature and you're trying to execute something and you want it to go off right, if you do it too early and you don't manage your timing, then it it comes off wrong. You don't get the effect that you were after, so it falls apart. So learning to, learning to play with, not just within the pocket, which is kind of a drummer thing, but learning to play within the flow of music is important. And even if you have an idea like, ooh, this would sound nice, or maybe I'll do this, you have to wait for the proper place to execute that. Else you just sound like a show off if you're trying to do everything every time that it comes to your mind. Okay. No, yeah, it's interesting some of these little tools that you used for that. It is interesting. It's cool. It's cool that you can see these areas. Even though you don't have a mental disorder, you can see where these things have been hurdles that you still have to jump through and ways that you've developed and overcome them. Yeah, I used to um as a kid, I used to draw a lot. Okay. I don't draw much as an as an adult anymore, but I, I remember where I put drawing down 
where I said, okay, I don't think it's going to serve, where I realized it wouldn't serve the process that it served uh, before for me. Okay. And I was having a conversation with God, and I was like, you know what? I don't draw much anymore, God. And he was like, yeah, but you don't need to. Okay. And I was like, I, I miss it, but why don't I? And he, what he told me was that he gave me drawing as a gift to teach me how to think. Interesting. And I'm like, what do you mean you gave me drawing as a gift to teach me how to think? And he's like, obviously it didn't work. Because now I'm going to have to explain this. Here's, here's an empty sketch pad. Let's start over. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Um, no, what he pointed out was my particular style of drawing. Most of the time, you're supposed to sketch something so you get broad strokes and then you kind of place it where you need to and then you fill in the details. It's one of the ways they, mm-hmm. they, tra- they teach you in traditional art classes how to draw. I drew gotcha. the exact opposite. I drew of details. Okay. Everything was pure details. But I needed to have a reference. So I'm constantly comparing what I am drawing to the reference. So I'm basically recreating a model. And so I learned okay. comparative analysis. You know, does this line look like that line? Is it as thick as that? Is it as dark as that? Does it have the same texture and visual aesthetic qualities as that? Is it framed properly? And I would do a few little light sketches, very light from the area that I'm drawing with real detail, but nothing where I fill in the space with rough edits and then go into full detail. Everything was detail okay. first. So I constantly learn how to compare and assess. Constantly learn how to self-reflect. Does this look, does, you know, and things like, does this look like that? Does this sound like that? You know, it would carry over to right. other things. So in learning how to analyze from drawing, I learned how to analyze in life. That's dope. And right about the time where I think I got the lesson, it was like, you don't need to draw anymore. But I like drawing. Okay. I miss it. But it doesn't serve the purpose <laughs> for me that it was intended to. And that's not to say for everyone else, you know, if you have a skill like that, just let it go. Right. For me, right. It, it served gotcha. a very specific, specific purpose. But it also taught these things we're talking about. You know, one of the games yeah. I used to play when I would draw was how much time can I spend doing this detailed? Like, I remember one time I was drawing a fighter pilot and I had to draw the oxygen mask that the guy had. And there are are little ribs on this oxygen mask that go all the way down the mask, little folds of of plastic. And I actually sat down to draw it and I was like, this is the one thing I have not wanted to draw this whole time. This is going to be time consuming. Mm -hmm. This is going to be boring. And the next thought that came to me was, how much time can you really dedicate to doing this oxygen mask without allowing yourself to get distracted or get bored? Like, how long can you focus on this? So I sat down, and it took me four and a half hours to draw this thing in detail. Well, and you did it without stopping? I was stopping, put some music on, and just drew. And I mean painstaking drew. Uh Uh-huh. Painstaking. <laughs> That's interesting. I got done. That's interesting. And it was it was pretty good. I, mean, I still have the drawing. It it was, it okay. was pretty good. And it but nice. it taught me something. Like, yeah, you have the ability to focus. 
that's time management. But also, when I got done, I was I was happy. It was delayed gratification. So delayed gratification. Yeah. Interesting. Another thing that we deal with a lot is uh, mental capacity. Like when you reach that that point where you're just like, I can't jam any more information in here. You mm-hmm. know, like anything else is just going to spill out of the top. Now, I'll say, thankfully, it's been a while since, and it's not very often that I get to that point anymore. Because I'm, I've, I've practiced and exercised, you know, just continuing to, to stretch, reading above my level, listening above my level. Like, I mean, when I started listening to Chuck and even listening to, to Chuck Missler now, you can't listen to Chuck Missler and think that you're going to remember everything that he says. That's not the way you go into one of those commentaries. It is, too. You are supposed to take away everything. <laughs> First time. You... <laughs> No, you just get what you can. And I remember specifically the first time, we've talked about it before on the podcast, the first time you had me listen to Chuck Missler, it was his commentary on Genesis, an hour-long session one, Mm -hmm. right? And that one hour pushed me, that was my capacity, was within within that one hour. And it's really cool that you can actually change. I think it would help people, maybe it would help people. It helps me to remember that our brain is not who we are. Now that's what evolutionary science is going to teach you, but your brain and who you are are different things. Your brain is a tool that you have. And as a tool, you need to know how to use it and clean it properly. So to, to get the most out of it. So you can't just be like, Oh, I don't as a person have mental capacity to fill in or to do, you know, fill in the blank. Your brain might not now, but most of us that don't suffer from from a, a, a mental issue to the extreme have the ability to stretch that. Mm-hmm. And that's even one of the things that uh, if you do have a um, a um, cognitive capacity limit, because that's one of the things that happens with the prefrontal cortex dysfunction, you can actually do things to improve it. Exercise is is a big one. So this this is where I, I just want to highlight for a minute some of the things that we can do in managing this brain tool that we have. Because you, you may or may not have ADHD, you may or may not even have um, prefrontal cortex dysfunction. Mm-hmm. But if you've not been trained on how to use the tool, then you you, you may be um, ill-equipped to get the best out of it. Yeah. So one of the things to do for cognitive... Um, processing is even if you have this, this disorder or, or, or a dysfunction, small amounts of sugary beverages. Now this is going to be the only time that I am advocating for sugary beverages, but actually sipping on it because one of the issues with a sugary beverage is the fact that it's instantly processed because it's processed sugar. It's probably high fructose corn syrup and all of that. It instantly goes into your body and a lot of it will pass the blood brain barrier. So if you're getting a massive amount of this, it's processed, you have energy. Once you have energy, then your body starts storing it as fat. But if you're sipping small amounts of that while you're trying to study or pay attention to something, that energy can actually keep your brain fueled for that. Exercise, um, cardiovascular exercise is the number one thing in all of the studies that can actually improve cognitive function and capacity. So that, that's something else you can do. <clears throat> One thing um, that this guy talked about in his his lecture was that you have to externalize 
the things that your brain isn't capable of internalizing. So whether it be post-it notes, alarms, like, oh, I just can't remember. Like, as an adult, if you're wanting to be successful, yes, we're sympathetic to the fact that you might have trouble remembering things or, or categorizing them or placing them in throughout your day. But the benefit that we have in today's day and age is we have cell phones. So you could set an alarm or multiple alarms. Hey, in 15 minutes, then I need to do this or whatever. Whether it's lack of training or an actual brain dysfunction, we have the capacity to externalize some of those things. Posted notes to help us remember. Alarms to trigger certain things throughout the day. Another one is to make consequences immediate. And this is going to be a terrible um, example. And I apologize for anyone that might be offended by this. But one of the first things that they tell you about training a dog, and if we're talking about training our mind, it's similar. You are not a dog, but training a tool to do something we want it to is very similar. If you come home from work and your dog took a crap on the carpet four hours ago, your initial response is to take the dog's face and rub it in the, the poop, right? Mm-hmm. Or that, that's one of the things, you know, show him what he did wrong or punish him then. But it's been four hours. He doesn't know why he's being punished. Now he's just going to think, oh, <laughs> when my owner gets home, I'm going to get my face pushed in poop. And it has no connection to the th- fact that he did it. So one of the things, if we're training ourselves to be more disciplined or whatever, to not wait a week or a month, you know, oh, if I go to the gym all week, then I'll, I'll take myself out to a nice dinner or something like that. For some people that aren't trained in discipline or might have cognitive dysfunction, a week is way too long. You know, you have to do, if I'm successful today, and maybe you shouldn't take yourself out to eat every day, especially if you're trying to go to the gym, but whatever... Whatever either um, positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement that you're trying to put in place to, to be better, the more immediate it is until you either develop or and if you can't develop, then just keep it with immediate. It'll help trigger that response to the stimuli better. If you put it out a week, um, a lot of times you just won't do it anyway. It's a week. I don't care about that. And then when when Sunday finally shows up and you're like, oh, when all of a sudden it's it's, it fits into that, that now moment, or you have a thorn in your butt, then you beat yourself up going, Oh, well, I should have done that. You know, I should have started a week ago. Now I don't get whatever the reward is. Mm -hmm. So those are just a couple of things to help. Um, but yeah, just, I really want to encourage people. There's things you can do. You can train your brain to be better. And even if you're suffering from a disorder, there are things you can do like externalizing. Stop expecting your brain to do something that it can't. You know, if your brain can't remember, then put it down outside of your brain. If your brain can't manage time like that, then put it down outside of your brain. And these things can help you more successfully navigate your life. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think the thing that we're really trying to highlight here is the fact that the way God has designed our brain, we have a thing that that they call neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Yes. And that is the ability of the brain to be rewired. Now, this has both pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. Your, your brain as a function can be rewired. Now, it can be rewired to operate in a inefficient manner, or it can be wired to operate in an efficient manner. It can be wired 
excuse me, it can be wired to operate in a correct fashion or it can be wired to operate in an incorrect fashion. But the point is it can still be rewired. And even scripture highlights mm-hmm. this. This is why scripture constantly talks about put on the mind of Christ. Highlighting yes. the fact that there yes. will be a change in how you think. And that will even result in a physiological change where different neuron connections are going to be made. And different neurological pathways will be established. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happens when we establish a, a, uh, a habit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also what happens when you have an addiction. In order to break addictions, you have to establish new new neurological pathways. Yeah. But there's hope because the brain can be changed. There is. And I'm glad you said that because this brought me or this brings me to the point that I wanted to drive home. That a lot of the areas of the brain that we see for mental disorders are the same areas of the brain that trauma negatively impacts. The prefrontal cortex, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. And if you are, if you have gone through trauma, then it's very possible that maybe your inability to manage time, your delayed gratification, are actually stemming from undealt with trauma or damage to the brain that that trauma has has put there. Interesting, right? Very. Now, what are you going to say to the person that goes, "All right, fellas." We are an hour into this gig. I turned it yeah. on because you're going to talk about doping the children. Mm-hmm. And somehow we didn't talk about <laughs> pre, pre-cortexes of the front and, and, and a hypocampus. I, I, I wasn't even trying to go to, to, to college, but we're, now we talk about campuses. What does this have to do with the children's? What would you say? I would say that the solution that we are given for all of the issues that, that we presented, and, and even though there are things that we can do to assist them, the solution that we are given from the government, from the pharmaceutical industry, is drugging the children. Okay, explain. So let's look at it from a satanic control matrix perspective. Take just uh, women's liberation, right? The extreme women's rights movement and then our financial system. Just just those two. Financial system is based off of Babylonian money magic and a fractional reserve banking system. This means that the more they print, the more dollars you need to purchase something. The actual value of the dollar is going down. Okay. And women's rights movement says that, well, you just being a stay-at-home mom is not enough. So these things are directly affecting the home because now we need two incomes because the, the, the money that the dad was making before wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't need the money, the women are getting feeling an increased pressure to go into the workforce to be equal to men. So they're liberated, right? And this leaves our home completely desolate. And we can't leave the children there unattended. So then we have to pay for childcare. This is more financial strain. And this increases the chance of um, child abuse and neglect in things, trusting someone else with your children. So now this home that we're supposed to be filling with love, right? Mm -hmm. The American dream, white picket fence and all that, the home's completely empty. Mom and dad are at work, children are at daycare most of every day. Right. It's, it's terrible. This contorts the whole family model to something it was never intended to be. And then just take into uh, 
if we add the LGBTQ movement, who have specifically said that they're coming for our children. If you don't believe me, let's just hear it from the horse's mouth. We're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. You know what? We're going to fact check that. And our fact checker said that that is false advertisement. That is not what <laughs> it's they, false advertisement? Yeah, it's not what they meant. And uh, hey, you just got to stop putting that out. <laughs> Too bad. Too bad. But our schools have become indoctrination camps. <clears throat> And backed up by the digital display babysitting. You, you, well, I don't know. You don't like social s- situations very well. If you go to a sit-down restaurant where there's children, mm-hmm. you are almost guaranteed to see a child with a phone or an iPad because you have to, the, the parents want to have a conversation and we need the children to just be civil. It's in a social setting. So it's, it's digital parenting right there. What were you going to Why are you to smiling? Say? What do you mean? You were asking. You, it sounded like you were about to ask a question, and then you corrected yourself. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you when you go into restaurants, do you do you see this? Do you witness children holding devices and stuff? Uh, I and I just imagine you walking. Like I imagine Jason in his truck going to a restaurant, going, "Should I go inside oh, and sit hilarious. down where I'm surrounded by people, or do I just go through the drive-through?" And I was like, "Yeah, this is a bad question to ask." <laughs> uh, okay, I see why you, you didn't ask that. Uh, in the in the limited amount of times that I've gone inside to eat and sat down, um, <laughs> I've witnessed that. I've also witnessed uh, another phenomenon that me and my sister were talking about, and that is okay. uh, more often than not, I witness depressed dads. Really, most of the time, I, I I told her I said, "Hey, listen, next time you sitting down or you out, because she'll she'll do more of the eating out than I will, like eating at a restaurant." Okay, said, next time I gotcha. you're there. Sit and watch the face on all the men that walk in with families. They all look depressed. And I think it's because they know the price of things have gone up so much. They all have this look of, <laughs> this is going to cost me an arm and a leg. The kids are happy. That's funny. The moms are, uh-huh. are normally a cross between being overstressed and also being happy that they're out at a restaurant they like. But the dad, okay. the dad is constantly sitting there rubbing his head. <laughs> Will you sit down? Will you be quiet? Will you shut up? Dad, can we have no? <laughs> can we have no? Well, what about you can have half of that? This thing is going to cost me a fortune to get out of here. <laughs> it's the entire time. It's hilarious. But no, to your point, yeah. man, uh, you, you you see this um, a lot of different places. I tell you one of the places I do see it, which you might not think. I see it on the road a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. As a truck driver, I'm constantly looking around my surroundings. So you see vehicles next to you and it is not uncommon to see someone, you know, whole van or car full of people and everybody, even the driver on their phone. Yeah. And I'll I will say as a, as a father of two and, and Jonathan is just over two years old now, I have had to fight the the urge to just put them in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. 
because there there is one show that we let them watch a little bit. It's called Blippy. It's it's mostly real long cuts. It's very educational, um, but still, I, it makes me sad to watch him to 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 witness him watching TV. Now, as a stressed out dad who's got a podcast to do and works spends way more time at a um, a corporate job than he wants to. It is really tempting when he's jumping off of the bed and throwing toys across the living room to be like, will you just sit down? And I know, I know that all I have to do is hit play and this dude's going to chill out. Mm-hmm. And it is so tempting. Yeah. But to see him, he's hunched over. He doesn't sit up straight. He does, he's not running around and playing. And as irritating as him jumping from thing to thing is, he's getting exercise. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I get the temptation to be like, quit acting like it. I mean, it's sad. Because we're we're the the fast paced lives or whatever we have that it's 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 now unfit. There's no place for you to behave like a child. Mm-hmm. And I and I I experience that from a visceral perspective. You stop stop being two years old. We we got to clean. We got to make food. We got to do all this. And the TV fixes that. It makes them the the perfect well behaved child. I get that temptation, but it is horrible it is so detrimental and it's a it's a hegelian dialectical situation yes yes right? that's There's it a problem that's created we know that you're going to be you're going to be busy right we're going to put you mm-hmm. into a situation like you just well articulated a moment ago we reset up the financial system we we cause inflation so things cost more so you no longer can run a household on a single income setup you need two incomes just to survive we're going to push the parents out into working all the time they're going to be physically tired we're going to increase the political stress so there's going to be stressors in the in the in the society that are going on they won't have a chance even coming home to relax there's going to be a holes that don't use turn signals and cut you off so you're going to be stressed mm-hmm. on your way home. And then you get home and you still have got stuff to do. Right. And so we know that putting a human being under that type of pressure, they're likely to be very limited in their cognitive capacity to handle the sacred trust of parenting. And so we will offer yes. them the opportunity to let us parent for you, bro. <laughs> All you got yeah. to do is just sit them right in front of this thing and you can have a minute to yourself. And while they, the parent takes the minute for themselves that they, in all fairness, probably need, mm-hmm. that yeah. opportunity is exploited and capitalized on in the sense of we will now give the child programming. Programming. Mm-hmm. Change their brainwave state. Exactly. Yep. I was going to yep. say programming that comes across on a technological platform that's designed to augment and change their neurological functioning. And then we will mm-hmm. give them content that affects their soulish functioning. And both of those will combine to turn them to the way of Lucifer right in front of the parents. And it will fulfill yep. the political goal of displacing the parent and putting the state in the role of the parent, which also achieves the, the spiritual goal of disrupting God's created order, dismantling the nuclear family and reflecting poorly on God as a creator, given the destruction that will happen by not following his created order. It's dial freaking bollical. It is. It is. And, and, and when that spirals out of control, then they offer, like we've been saying, drugs to fix the problem. You can't be a parent. We destroyed the mind of your children. Now they act out. There's nothing you can do about it. 
we got you. Now, here here's a uh, a big takeaway I think for people to understand here, because you just said you know we'll, we'll offer drugs as a solution, right? Uh huh. And for most people, they they look at it as um, something physical that you can take. Okay. Or ingest, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what, what what people don't often realize is that you can have non-physical drugs or you can have things that are introduced to the mind that have the commensurate effect that a drug does. Yes, this is true. Yes. So while you may not necessarily be giving something that is taken orally or, or intravenously or shot into the body, it may not be a drug in that sense. Putting them in front of content can release the same amount of dopamine that drugs do and have the psychological effect that a physical drug would have. Hence why... Yeah, because don't they say that, that social media alone is just as addictive as cocaine? I've heard that. And, and it's 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 not just like addictive, but in this other category, but the way that it affects your brain is the same. Right, and I wasn't even thinking just social media, but it, we were talking about television a moment ago. Okay. Television is a drug. Yeah. Television is used to drug a population. And to change the the thought processes of a of a population, to control large groups of people, mm-hmm. right? So when we're talking about drugging your children, uh, it's not just the pharmaceutical aspect. Okay, that's it, fair. It's yeah. bigger than that. You know, we started talking about that at the beginning, but it's it's much wider than that. Right. Right. It really is. And I'm glad that you talked about how this whole thing is set up for the government to usurp the parents, Mm -hmm. right? To take their place because that's the whole communist model. It's the communist model that all the citizens are wards of the state, but specifically children. Children become just assets of the state and they're not yours. And it's not your responsibility to take care of them. And the problem with all of this And you mentioned this in the intro, but these societal changes actually increase the occurrence of ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. So according to the CDC, um, psychologists break the ACE list down to three categories, abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. Have you heard these, this breakdown, Jason? Yeah. Okay. Um, actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think it was, I think it was something you and I talked about uh, a long yeah, time ago, but I got it from my brother-in-law at the time. Okay. Yeah. I know you've mentioned it before and wanted to put it in a podcast. So here we go, bro. Nice. Hit it. All right. So abuse it says one out of seven children have experienced childhood abuse or neglect over the past year. One out of seven. That's crazy. Now, when many people think of child abuse, they often consider just physical abuse. Now, while physical abuse is one of the contributors to a child's ACE score, it's not the only one. Physical abuse, abuse I don't know why I keep trying to say that wrong. That's weird. Physical abuse. <laughs> it can be striking, smacking, or other types of physical harm, non-sexual because that, that's a different category. Sexual abuse relates to either childhood rape or molestation, which is inappropriate touching. And that's actually the most common form of childhood sexual abuse, <clears throat> most often done by family members. And it goes unnoticed. That's 
staggering. That you should let that marinate for a minute. We, we should we should have a marinate sound effect. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna let you work on that. <laughs> I don't think there's any way that it could sound appropriate for the show whatsoever. <laughs> uh, oh man. Uh, but the third kind of abuse is emotional abuse. And it really gets the least amount of attention. And I can attest to this because, you know, as, as people might've heard in, in the blood and testimony episode, a lot of what I, I mean, there was physical abuse, but a lot of what I was going through was emotional abuse. And at the time the courts couldn't recognize it. You know, you, you don't have bruises this time you came in, things must be getting better. You know, uh, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I think emotional abuse is, is often the the most overlooked and more significant of the types of abuses a person can suffer because it has more long-lasting consequences. Right. Myself, people that I've talked to, anyone that suffered both emotional and physical abuse would choose physical abuse over the emotional because that heals in a couple of days or whatever, depending on how bad the abuse right. is. But, but yeah, so... I mean, frequent yelling, discouraging, anything that, that negatively impacts the or is emotionally harming the child would fall under emotional abuse. Here's the other thing. I, I would argue it's almost impossible to have physical abuse without an element of emotional emotional abuse being present. There is that, too. But it's right. definitely possible to have emotional abuse without any physical abuse being present. Yes. I'm glad you said Thanks, that. Man. <clears throat> no problem. Second one is neglect. Ne- neglect is actually harder to pinpoint because often childhood neglect is unintentional. It doesn't make it less stressful or less traumatic for the child, but it, it's not intentionally done like abuse would be done. Uh, and childhood neglect can be physical or emotional. Physical neglect means that a child's child isn't getting everything they need to thrive in their home. So, you know, they may not be clean. They may not have... Um, clothes that fit or they're torn up. Uh, they may go to bed hungry more often than not. Things like that would be physical neglect. Emotional neglect is more sinister. Children who experience emotional neglect may not get enough attention from their parents, either intentionally or not, you know, like we said, but they may experience a silent treatment. It's interesting to me that the, the CDC article actually highlights the silent treatment is emotional neglect as a form of uh, emotional detachment. There's, there's some um, cultures that actually treat the silent treatment as um, abuse or even witchcraft because it's used to control people. I could see that. Uh, one of the hardest yeah. things going through uh, the first time my brother-in-law introduced this to me was actually immediately as we went through it, we started trying to apply it to, to our family. Okay. And How was that? <laughs> it was eye-opening and traumatic. Okay. Uh, because now you've got words for different things that you may have felt or experienced. Okay. And did it help? It did, but we <laughs> it quickly escalated. Because once we went through and we talked about abuse, we talked about neglect, um, and then household dysfunction, which is a, another major thing. The next thing that we talked about was how these researchers have have traced certain types of behavior based on the trauma you experienced and as a child. 
mm-hmm. some of your adverse behavior, some of the things that you will get into, like addictions or like specific kind, like this type of of issue. Like, let's say if you were neglected, you're more likely to, mm-hmm. to be this type of, of an offender. Okay, interesting. If you were emotionally abused, you're more likely to abuse this. If you were physically abused, you're more likely to get into this. I stepped back after we, we had the conversation and I was talking with him and I said, man, this looks like a weapons platform. Okay. I was like, figure it this way. If you know, based on the history of the family, what issues they already have going into it, what issues are present in their bloodline, then you can pretty much uh, determine how they're going to parent their child. And if you need to get the child to a certain place to accept a certain type of vice, then all you need to introduce is a certain type of trauma. Or you enter, you know they're going to experience a certain type of trauma, so you have it ready for them to have a certain type of vice introduced into their life. Interesting. They don't know that. So then the, right. the next level of irritation was, I was like, I don't think that we as a church think that way. That the enemy is that strategic exactly. about attacking people? Exactly. And if we see the thing they're dealing with, we tend to attack that thing. And at times we even vilify or demonize the person for even suffering with that thing. Mm-hmm. Without realizing it was an orchestrated effort to get that thing in their life in the first place. That's interesting. And I was like, and if researchers can understand this and they're quote unquote secular minded, why don't we? Because of the fundamentalist movement of 1920. If it doesn't have to do with salvation specifically, it's secular. We don't have time for it in the church. And think of the the playing field that that opens up for the serpent. Yeah. What things you can seed into a person's life. What problems and havoc that they're likely to accept. And then, again, we talked a moment earlier, spirits exploit this. So now you've got spiritual Uh domination issues or you've got uh, demonism going on in your life, right? Where these things are not only just your own personal issues, now you're beginning to to manifest the appetites or the expressions of a total different entity that's resonant within you. You know, it's not just anger you have at what happened, but now this anger takes on a totally different level and becomes rage. Next thing you know, you're mad at children for things that doesn't warrant that level of anger. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm that upset. Or you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing what we say is when you suffer a certain type of abuse, you perpetrate that abuse on others. This becomes yeah. a, a self-replicating virus, if you will. Yeah, it really, really is. So having that conversation with him, I mean, on one hand, was it was it emotionally freeing to be able to put words to different things that I've suffered? I mean, yeah. But as soon as we jump to the second, third, or the third, fourth, uh, and fifth levels, then, then I had totally different issues to deal with. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. It kind of, I mean, it would be beneficial for the church to look at ACEs as a, um, I mean, it's beneficial to see your opponent's playbook, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Because we haven't even talked about That's household crazy. dysfunction. Right. Household dysfunction, which is the, the third one that the CDC lists in um, ACEs, says that it has more categories than the other two, right? So the, we, the other two were broke down in three different categories. This actually has five. 
So we have household substance abuse, household mental illness. And the, right there is the reciprocating issue. Mm-hmm. Because this type of trauma causes mental disorders and it puts it in the in the next house and the next house. So household mental illness, abuse of the mother, family incarceration and divorce. It's interesting that there's not abuse of the father is not listed on here. I was going to say that. It's curious that that's yeah. off. Right, because now I would probably venture to guess that there's not very much physical abuse from a from the mother to the father. That a lot of physical abuse is going to be from the father to the mother. But in all the other categories, it highlights the that it's physical and emotional. Right, so there could be emotional abuse of the father via the mother. Right. I think they left that out. There should be six on this list. Should be. But then that would be two on the nose or there would be six. <laughs> it would, yeah. That's crazy. Now, they say that these things happen outside of a child's control, oh, right? A child can't control. I don't think we finished. There were, there were two other ones. We got abuse of the mother. Oh, yeah. Family, incarceration, and divorce. I said those. Okay. I must have been stuck on the, the mother part. Oh, my bad. Yeah, my if bad. you got a family member who goes to jail, uh-huh. especially a mother or, or a father, like yep. think about that for a minute. You, you talk about, we were talking earlier about how African-American boys are uh, unfairly targeted. Mm-hmm. But the African-American home has been so decimated with unfair jailing of the father. Yeah. You know, via and even you talk Go ahead. Go ahead. Now what were you gonna say? I was say? gonna say even, you know, taking the, the crack ep- epidemic as an example. That's what I was gonna say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean when you get to that and you know that it was done by the government and specifically designed to destroy this section of the population, it led to fathers being out of the homes, which is a form right. of household dysfunction, which created adverse childhood experiences. Right, which created mental disorders that then have to be fixed with drugs. And those aren't just it's pharmaceutical a drugs. Those might be street drugs, which right, can land right. you right back in jail and start the cycle all over again. <laughs> and yeah. here, here's something, dude, I'm, I'm going to say, say this here. You know, I hear a lot about there's a war on a certain segment of the population, right? Right now, okay. the, the, the thing that's being purported is there's a war on white males. Okay. And being someone of non quote unquote white descent. Okay. Sometimes that falls on deaf ears. Okay. And you need to be like, shut up. There's been a war on us for way longer. But even <laughs> phrasing things in that way perpetuates a larger war that's not talked about. Okay. There's a war on humanity. Yes. That's the war. And so oftentimes what I do. Personally, I, I haven't heard of other people that do this, but when I see statistics or when I see agendas that are aimed at a specific ethnic groups, particularly African-Americans, to me, they are test runs. They are dry runs for what is going to be enacted against Christians. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I don't just see it as a quote-unquote racial war. I see it okay. as a, a, a beta test. Before this a facet of a larger war. Oh, yeah, before this is run out. Because if we found ways to decimate a family, right, and they enacted this on African-Americans, but then they've enacted this on 
on white Americans as well. Mm-hmm. And I know we're talking about Americans. You can look at this globally. But just sticking to, to the United States, now there's a new narcotic epidemic that's sweeping through white America. And that's heroin. Okay. Is that is that more specifically a white drug? Oh, yeah. Like, like, okay. like the white folks is falling like the black folks were with crack. <laughs> we, we just okay. don't have after school programs like D.A.R.E. You know, for what's going on now. Now it's a it's a huge issue what's happening. We're supposed to take all sorts of sympathies on what's happening over there in white America. And part of us would like to say, hey, how's it feel? Right now okay. that your people are going through what our people went through. But that just still keeps the conflict going within this groups and it it serves a a Tavistockian um a method which is to divide populations into warring to smaller warring factions, not fractions, factions. There mm-hmm. goes that daggone R again. <laughs> right? If you one of the ways in, in sector two of the control matrix, you, you want to not only in sector one you want to introduce control over the individual, but in sector two you focus more so on funneling those individuals into larger groups and exerting control over those groups. Until you can funnel mm-hmm. into a larger control system that is absolute and totalitarian, which is really uh, a sector three operations. Well, in sector two, one of the one of the things they do is they take studied approaches that have come from institutions like the Tavistock Institute, and they implement a strategy that seizes control over large groups of people by constantly breaking them into smaller groups that war against each other. And they can do that along a lot of different lines, political, economic. They can do it on, on spiritual lines with different denominations or warring religions. You can also do it along this idea of racial division. And what it does mm-hmm. is it does not allow people to see the larger war that's being carried out against them, which is to control humanity. Right. So right. when you're talking about something like, let's just say this drug war, for instance, even if we were to say that that heroin is a, a, a white problem if you will there's two issues that Mm -hmm. are immediately evident and if we say that that crack is a black problem number one in order to divide those two groups into white and black you have to accept a division system that is not even accurate to begin with that produces the white black dichotomy right Mm -hmm. we've talked about that before this idea of of racial groups particularly color-based racial groups not ethnic lines not national not even nationalities but ethnicities tribes clans we're not talking about that we're talking about color coding right right and so once we agree to color coding then we're going to talk about different drugs that are within those communities but we're going to ignore the obvious third party in both of these scenarios who is okay. that? the government now, yeah. you don't stop there because it's not just a political problem. It's really a spiritual problem because the government is subjected to spiritual entities that it, it has sought allegiance with. So it is not purely yep. political. This is why you can't just say it's a governmental problem and, and leave it at that because people will be like, oh, well, we just need to change our candidates and we'll fix the problem. You won't because it's a spiritual-based problem. However, how yep. did you get crack into communities? Yeah. The government. Exactly. CIA worked to Mm -hmm. funnel crack into specific communities. It was government sponsored. We bought it, the the we, meaning the United States, bought it in from foreign uh, countries, right? 
in just the time that we pass legislation making it a criminal offense. Exactly. What are the chances? Well, I don't even see how that would be an issue. But then what about <laughs> heroin? How do we get it into this country? Is it just the drug dealers? Possibly. But it's very curious to me that the United States decided to go to war with the number one opium producer on the planet. Mm -hmm. Would that be Afghanistan? <laughs> and now suddenly, after we went to war with them, we suddenly have a, a heroin epidemic going on? Where in the world do you think we're getting heroin from? Same place we went yeah. to war. What fields do you think we're uh -huh. protecting over there? Right, right. So, is the government complicit? Yeah, they're complicit in both both cases. Now, why would the government be complicit? What interest would it have? Uh, I think Chuck Missler did a great job when he talked about uh, governments. There's normally a triangle that happens, and it's normally government has some sort of a military issue that then produces mm -hmm. a social crisis that is used to to gain more power by the government. But what the yeah. government found out was that you don't have to have a military crisis. There are things that work better than that. And things that work better than that is immorality. If you can, okay. if you, you can endorse immorality, it will produce social crisis, which then the citizens will cry out for a fix from the government, which gives you the opportunity to seize more control. Okay. Now, what do you seize the control for? Is it just for human greed? That's a component of it. But again, you're dealing with governments that are established under spiritual overlords. You see this in our country. You see this in countries abroad. They have spiritual overlords. Ours is, is the, the uh, queen of heaven. You mm -hmm. see this in the District of Columbia. We've talked about this at length before on, on other episodes. Yep. And you, you can see it. You can look at the... Uh, the British crown and the different different areas it colonized as an example. And the British crown, they say they traced their lineage back to Nephilim overlords. Mm -hmm. You, It's just, you start doing some of the research, you'll start finding pretty much all of these countries, they are under a spiritual overlord. And so it is that kingdom that they're subservient to, not, not the political one, not the electorate. And so they do have a vested right. interest to seize control so that control can be turned over to those spiritual powers. And that's exactly what scripture talks about. The political system will eventually be turned over to the spiritually endorsed Messiah. But we call the Antichrist. This is the son of perdition. This is the, the Assyrian. This is the one that will be invested with the power of Satan himself. Mm-hmm. This is where all the stuff ties together. Right, right. And getting the children on board is a key component of that because you don't want to have people that resist the plan. They need to either be yeah. part of the plan or they need to be so docile that they don't resist it and become yeah, active fighters against the plan. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they can get you while you're young, they can, they can turn the whole nation. Right. That's why it's so fascinating to me that the, the government, by its own decisions, promote all three types of adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at what happened during the pandemic. As interesting as I was learning about uh, ACEs, I was like, a lot of these seem like they would have been way worse during the pandemic. And I found an article 
um, John Hopkins study says ill-founded COVID lockdowns did more harm than good. And, I'll, and, and, and maybe this is just me, but sometimes the, the things that happen and especially the, the, the news articles tend to create um, a lot of confusion in the midst of what's happening. Because John Hopkins shows up, um, what was it, the World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and John Hopkins, um, they ran Event 201. That's what it was called, mm-hmm. right? Which is that whole, um, uh, what, what do they call it? Uh, fake scenario of COVID, like less than six months before COVID hit. Yeah. That they were going to do lockdowns. And I mean, down to what presidents of what nations would do exactly like they did in real mm-hmm. life. And now they're like, oh, well, we're the good guys because ill-founded lockdowns did more harm than good. It, it, it creates so much noise that it's hard to, to get a grasp on what's really going on. I think on. it's part of the, the, the plan, the intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, until everything is rolled out the way it needs to be, I think you still keep certain sectors in line and you, you got to still instill a fair amount of public trust in certain institutions until – Things are such that you can roll out, uh, you can roll out the red carpet, and these institutions can really show where their allegiance is. Okay, that makes sense. But I also think it lends to chaos. And remember, these spiritual entities feed on chaos. The the right, the back right. and forth energy, the confusion, and then that leads to fear, and they feed on fear as well. So it serves uh, a few purposes to continue to do that. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, hopefully that. Helped more than just me. I'm sure I wasn't the only one that was feeling that. So I appreciate that, bro. On top of that article, though, I did find one from Society. Oh, my gosh. From Society Today. Psychology Today, actually, that talks about this very thing. Are you hungry? I am. Is that what it is? Can you you see? Do I look like Roseanne right now? No. Do I need a Snickers? You you were just making some sorts of errors. I was like, maybe a sugary (laughs) drink that you could sip on would help. I I, I don't know. Uh, I see that was it like backhanded concern. It wasn't really a compliment. I I see what you're doing there. I didn't. I, I don't know about <laughs> backhanded concern. I think it was really like an open slap. But you know, that's cool. <laughs> you know, if you took it as as, as backhanded okay. concern, that works <laughs> that's better funny. than I thought. <laughs> but no, psychology today actually breaks down the and we all know that the steps that were taken during the pandemic were unnecessary they were pre-planned all of that stuff and this is the effect that it had on the children it says mental health difficulties such as anxiety and depression as well as substance abuse have all increased during the pandemic enforced isolation appears to be a particularly potent trigger for these increases reduced contact with friends in smaller households are correlated with increased difficulties those who already struggle with mental health difficulties or substance abuse are likely to experience deterioration during this time. While these effects on adults are sufficiently concerning, the impact on children may be devastating. In particular, children kept out of school are showing deterioration of their mental health with increases in depression and suicide attempts. The impact of COVID-19 on families through the loss of employment, financial insecurity, loss of child care services, and available social support for families has resulted in an increase in child abuse. <laughs> Intimate partner violence. What? I'm not, you're not supposed to laugh at that, but all I could hear was Bernie Mac, man. Screw them keys. <laughs> 
like all the stress everybody was doing. You're like, hey, be nice to your kids. You're only locked in here for like two weeks. We're going to flatten the curve. Week number five. <laughs> Screw them kids. I'm trying to get out. I don't like these people's. Yeah, I mean, it was terrible for everyone, but I think the kids suffer the most. Yeah, and they, mm. they actually, in all seriousness, they they have the least resources to be able to fight against that. Right, that, that's, right, they're the most unarmed. Uh, right, that's one of the one of the biggest tragedies about this. They don't have a means of escape like adults do. Right. They yeah. can't be like, screw these adults. I'll go into the playground. Because we was locking <laughs> yeah, up. that's not an No, nah, we were locking up people just being boogie boarding out in the ocean by yourself. Mm-hmm. I took pictures because it was so surreal because even in our small town, they had taken like police tape or caution tape and roped off all of the playground equipment so you couldn't play. Isn't that crazy? It's nuts to think about. But on, on top of all that, uh, Psychology Today continues and says, intimate partner violence has also increased during the pandemic. <clears throat> Thus, unintended but predictable consequences from the pandemic and the consequent lockdowns with the associated social isolation are obvious. The responses to COVID-19 and the effort to control the pandemic by isolating individuals and families is exposing millions of children to what? Adverse childhood experiences, which we know to be predictive of future difficulties, ranging from an increased likelihood of smoking to suicide and increased morbidity and mortality in general. The relationship between ACEs and these negative outcomes is quite direct. The more ACEs an individual experiences in childhood, the greater the likelihood that they will experience negative outcomes in adulthood. Maltreatment, substance abuse, and parental mental <clears throat> sorry. And parental mental illness are all ACEs that are increasing through social isolation imposed on families to deal with the pandemic. And it was all unnecessary. And the more ACEs you have, the greater likelihood of negative outcomes. These negative outcomes are now registered under mental illness and they are prescribed all types of drugs to get children to behave the quote unquote way that they need to instead of allowing parents to do what God intended from the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. See, that's what I was talking about, the link. Yeah, yeah. Between ACEs or adverse childhood experiences and negative outcomes like substance abuse and uh -huh. all that other stuff. Here, they understand that. Right, right. And we seem to be, even we in the broadest sense of the quote-unquote woke community seem to be oblivious. Yeah. Like even right now, if there was another, if there was another lockdown, which they've been talking about, by the way. There's going to be mm -hmm. another environmental pandemic. lockdowns, right? Well, not just those. There, been talking oh, about another there's pandemic. Be another pandemic. There's going to be another lockdown. There'll probably be more draconian in nature. How many people are geared towards you have to resist this type of control, understanding the negative consequences, even if it's softball mm -hmm. pitch to you? We only need just look four months. And we'll be good. Look at the places that told you it would be okay. Like there, there should be so much reworking in our minds of our trust matrix. Who we, who we really can rely on. We ought to be thinking completely different. Like every company in my mind that said, "Hey, you know, just just flatten the curve." You're on a list of I, can, I don't think I can trust you. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Every actor, every comedian, it was just like, oh, you, you ain't going to take the vaccine, you're going to take the shot. Oh, you're on a list, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at all of these Absolutely. things thinking, no, you can't trust standard narrative. The, the things can't. that people were vilified for and called conspiracy theorists or called kooks or crazy and all of that are now the very things that are coming out in, in public as being true. Mm-hmm. So we got to take a step back and go, okay, how do we, how did I get duped the first time? And am I in a position not to get duped the second time? And I mean, I don't want this to be a conversation about, you know, COVID-19, but thinking right. of the impact that it had on children, are you, are you going to choose differently? Right. Well, I mean, even the, the John Hopkins study, it says ill-founded. Who was allowed to say that they were unfounded decisions? Who was allowed to say that there's there's no reason that we should have had lockdowns? You know what I mean? Right. Why was it founded? Because of just whose name it came from. Mm-hmm. These are all stuff we should be talking about. And if we're talking about drugging the children, of course, you're going to get to talking about things like vaccines. Yep. You, you, yep. you would have to. Why? Because we're talking about a system that understands outcomes and how to manage outcomes and looks at every mm-hmm. point to exploit what it can. Does this mean every vaccine is bad? Not, no, it doesn't mean that. But you would have to understand, again, in the context of, of doping our children, the vaccine schedule that most of us who were born in the 80s or 90s experienced in our life is not the same vaccine schedule now. Right, not at all. I think it was like 30-some different vaccines that, that children are required to get now. Not like the handful. Now? Yeah. 77. My bad, dude. <laughs> Remember, I don't have children. So I'm going off <laughs> of hard memory. 70 yeah, freaking 77. Yep. That's nuts. Dude, I had a little card. Little blue card that I had to take to school that said I got my vaccines. Did List, you? Yeah, a little thing that, you know, they let you in. Yeah, you got your vaccines, you're good. You couldn't fit huh. 77 on there. No. I didn't have to take that many. That's crazy. See, this is stuff we don't talk about. We're like, oh, so you, you don't trust that? You don't trust the science? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Especially when some of those vaccines are actually intended for children that are under six months of age. And children under six months do not have their own immune system. They borrow it through the breast milk of their mother. So why are you giving them vaccines to bolster an immune system they don't have? Someone, see, that's that's a good point. And someone once said that what we are calling science especially in an applied sense mm-hmm. is occult sciences. They're occult disciplines. Okay. It comes from the mystery schools. Like pharmacia. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you don't, okay. it's kind of hard to accept that. You mean to tell me, cause it's a broad statement, right? So are, are you trying to tell me that like this roadcaster that we use to, to mix our audio for this podcast <laughs> is coming from occult sciences. And I'm like, no, I get that. That's, an, that's a specific uh, piece of technology. But it is built on, on electronics. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not so convinced that electronics was not a gift from the serpent to humanity. Okay. Especially considering who discovered it. And I put discovered in quotations. Yeah. All right. Which I believe was Benjamin Franklin, right? At least this is what we're told in I our think schools. So. Right, Could right. Discovered that he had that. a key and a and a and a flag and all of, or a kite and all of that. Yeah, it was a kite and a lightning storm, from what I remember. But the, I thought there was a key on it, which was the conductor. Oh, it might have been a an added detail I overlooked. I was playing with rocket ships at that point. I care less <laughs> I gotcha. about a dude out flying a kite in a in a thunderstorm. Right. These are not black problems. <laughs> <laughs> you don't find this in the in, in the hood outside right although i never grew up in the hood so <laughs> i'm talking anyhow <laughs> that's funny. um benjamin franklin was a member of the hellfire society the hellfire club mm-hmm. yes he was right this person who was involved in dark arts this person was involved in in human sacrifice and satanic uh-huh. ritual abuse of people and they even they even found the bone bones of adolescence under his home exactly out in and years later was it in england I think both. Okay. I think both, but they, yeah, then they tried to say that it was only little slave girls. Like that somehow makes it Honestly, better. Man, the man had a measure of discretion, but here's, <laughs> this is the person that discovers e- electronics or electricity and from electricity is produced electronics. Are we sure that the person who discovered it was not given this by fallen angel technology? Can't be sure. Not, you can't. not, but I look at what it opens up. I look at what it, what it allows for. Well, and even Tesla. Exactly. Tesla got a lot. He yeah, flat out admitted it. Mm-hmm. Said that that's where all the information he got came from. And I, I know that there have been people who have talked about the, uh, what is it, the the um, the interconnected grid that Lucifer had on the planet prior to the flood. It seems to be mm, a, uh, almost like an electronics grid of energy that he had going around the planet, functioning like a, a D-Wave supercomputer. I think uh, okay. um, Dr. Ted Brewer's talked about this from time to time. You know, okay. not uh, it has allowed me. It has allowed me to have a certain measure of of skepticism when it comes to electronics and the things that they produce. But you absolutely need electronics for the modern world. Mm-hmm. You need it for even pharmaceuticals. When you look at the pharmaceutical yeah. industry and what it produces and how it is tied not just phonetically to witchcraft, but even the way that it comes up with the, the, the uh, manufacture of its products. Many times it's tied right out to occult practices. Like okay. We can't just dismiss it as though, nah, this is just some tinfoil hat idea. It bears deeper consideration. Right. Right, and this is the stuff we're getting involved in when it comes to to drugging our children, putting them in front of electronic devices like iPads, like TVs. I mean, I think it's curious that people like uh, Steve Jobs will not allow his children to be in front of iPads. Mm-hmm. Same with with uh, uh, Gates. Right, he too wouldn't allow the people to to, to have access to that. Yeah, what was it? The the social dilemma. That documentary on Netflix, a lot of the people that produce the software and the technology for it won't let their kids look at it. Exactly. You know, these are different ways of, of, of doping our children to, to enforce control 
And when it starts coming to not necessarily bringing bringing back in line chemiological imbalances, but when it comes to trying to induce specific behaviors, are we not playing with witchcraft? And right. Trying to I mean, it's what the Bible called. Yeah, it's what the Bible called sorcery. Well, that's well, pharmakia. Right. Where we get our modern word of pharmacy from. Right. And if you look up the definition, it talks about drugging and using poisons. It's, it's very specific, a little bit lost in translation, but this is exactly what it's talking about. And it starts getting scarier when we go down that quote unquote rabbit hole and start seeing mm-hmm. the type of occult practices that are introduced in, in that industry. It makes you look at, it should make you look at the products and go, I don't know if I can trust it wholeheartedly. Yeah. So when it comes back at to- At least. Exactly. So when it comes back to a shot or a vaccine schedule, 77 different vaccines. Yeah, just because Boo Boo the Fool said that you should take it does not mean you should take it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it's coming from this, it's coming from this trusted organization. What makes them trusted? <laughs> the government stamp. And you trust the government? Like, these are really common sense questions I think we need to get back to asking instead of just willfully giving away our trust and thinking that that's going to be honored and rewarded. Mm -hmm. You might be giving it away for it to be honored and rewarded with our own our own mortality, our own our own death or that of our children. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the other things I wanted to cover is uh, school shootings. Well, that seems a bit weird, given we're talking about well, you, doping of children. Well, yeah, but you talked about it could, you know, could end up being the death of you or your children. So, I have a, a bunch of school shootings and and other mass murders that um, highlight the fact that all of these people were either on antidepressants or some type of psychotropic drug. I think Jim Mars. The award-winning author talks about that at length in various publications that he's authored. That there's yeah, a link it's crazy. between the school shootings in particular and pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So let me start with uh, Columbine, 1999, right? We have Eric Harris and Dylan uh, Klebold. Okay. Harris was on the antidepressant Luvox. And interestingly enough, Dylan's records remain sealed. Nobody's allowed to see him, which is, I think, pretty interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So what is brand name Luvox? This is where it gets a little hairy, but it's um, fluvoxamine. And it is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, an SSRI. Fluvoxamine is used to treat symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, in adults and children at least eight years old. Fluvoxamine may also be used for purposes not listed in this medication guide. That's like, like what? That always. Right. I want to be like, so why isn't it listed? Like it could just be used for, like, I don't know. The, the ambiguity is suspicious. I mean, is it used for gunpowder, toothpaste? You know, cooking flavoring, it, that is such a non-specific term. I mean, non-specific phrase. It is. It is, which I think gives them a lot of leeway. Exactly. But some, but some of the warnings for these, it says people with depression or mental illness may have thoughts about suicide. Some young people may have increased suicidal thoughts when first starting a medication 
to treat depression. That right off the bat is a problem. If you're having thoughts of suicide due to your depression and you start taking a drug, it's going to get worse. Mm. Mm. And it's not just like a headache, but suicide. Like you don't necessarily recover from that. Right. You know what I mean? Yet they got a pill coming out for it. Yeah, they do. I'm sure they will. They do. It says, tell your doctor right away if you have any sudden changes in mood or behavior or thoughts about suicide. Well, yeah. But I found an uh, an article from uh, the Scientific American. It says, depressants are some of the most commonly prescribed medications out there. More than one out of 10 Americans over age 12, it's roughly 11%, take these drugs. And according to a 2011 report by National Center for Health Statistics, and yet recent reports have revealed that important data about the safety of these drugs, especially their risk for children and adolescents, has been withheld from medical community and the public. Okay, so stop there. That's that's one of the key flags for why we should have a measure of, of skepticism. It's not that we okay. think everybody in the medical field is out to get you or is a liar or somehow right. has taken the Hippocratic Oath. Of course, that's not what it's called. You didn't even jump at that one. The Hippocratic Oath? Yeah, not the hypocritic. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not that. It's the fact that we realize, listen, if the advice you're getting from a medical professional has been corrupted if you will by the powers mm-hmm. that be that have either withheld information or or restricted information that can be given out then you're not getting the full you're not getting a full understanding so that you can make an informed decision right you can't have informed consent if you're not getting informed it precisely matter of fact hold on a minute <laughs> thanks bro yeah that's what i'm talking about uh, and y- you have to have that. So when there are several, and I mean several documented cases of pharmaceutical companies having studies, internal documents where they knew X, Y, and Z uh, drug caused X, Y, and Z issue, but withheld it under some proprietary loophole or withheld it because the law didn't require it to be disclosed at that particular time, but really withheld it because they could make profits from the public. By getting this to market, mm-hmm. when you have that, you should be the type of person that says, wait a minute, I'm not going to give you my full trust and confidence. You haven't earned it. Right. Absolutely. You know, when the when the government agency that's responsible for overseeing this, like the FDA, has got cases of proven corruption, not to mention the fact that many of the people that are in administrative, senior administrative positions within the FDA come from the pharmaceutical company industries. It's a conflict mm-hmm. of interest. Why are you trusting the information and advice you're getting from these institutions? Right. It's, you you're should. not required and, by law to trust it. It's not a <laughs> biblical mandate that says thou must trust thy governmental entities. Right. No, and we shouldn't. Because the, the statistics get way worse. Oh, go ahead, bro. <laughs> the uh, British Medical Journal 
says that a group of researchers at the Nordic Cochrane Center in Copenhagen showed that pharmaceutical companies were not presenting the full extent of serious harm in clinical study reports, which are detailed documents sent to regulatory agencies such as the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the European uh, Medicines Agency, the EMA when applying for approval for a new drug. So when they're applying for approval, they're not even telling the full extent of harm that the drugs are having to the institutions that are giving them approval. This is a problem. Now, the Bible has a term for that. Lying. That's what it calls it. <laughs> exactly. But these researchers, um, was it from Nordic Cochrane Center? Mm -hmm. Said They examined documents from 70 double-blind placebo-controlled trials of two common types of antidepressants, serotonin, <clears throat> sorry, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is what old dude was taking for Columbine. It says, and serotonin and uh, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors and found that the occurrence of suicidal thoughts and aggressive behavior doubled in children and adolescents who use these medications. Wow. Mm-hmm. Suicidal thoughts and aggressive behavior doubled in the children that took these drugs. And the companies that made them ref did not tell the agencies when they came to market. It's interesting, the link between drugs and death. Yeah. It's a little bit scary. Especially living in a culture that, that immediately defaults to drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the answer for everything. It doesn't matter what's wrong with you. Don't change your diet. Don't change the way that you think. Don't change anything. Just take this drug and you'll be okay. You're good. We got a pill for you. It's terrible. So moving forward, 2005, we had the Red Lake shooting. Jeff Wise was taking Prozac while he committed these crimes. And brand name Prozac is actually uh, Fluexetine. And it says that it is another selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Uh, it's an antidepressant. It says it affects certain chemical messengers, neurotransmitters that communicate between brain cells and helps, says that it helps people with depression, panic, anxiety, and obsessive compulsive symptoms. But we know that also increases the suicidal thoughts and aggressive behavior in children that take these. Now, I'm going to introduce something here, just as a thought. We, okay. we talked about this earlier. Um, while we have people that are suffering from depression, panic, anxiety, or obsessive-compulsive disorders, um, mm -hmm. which fluoxetine, as an example, affects the, the chemical messengers that help communicate between brain cells that, people, that, that help people that are dealing with this, right? In mm -hmm. no place do we ever say pray for them to the creator of all things that he can go back and chemiologically, you know, balance out their brain and their neurological function. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we don't think that there may be a spiritual cause to why we're seeing this. So what right. happens if right. we treat this, the issue that we identify as depression, panic attacks, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, what have you, what happens if we treat that with chemicals, but its cause is spiritual? Well, it's not going to be very effective. At all. It's going to exacerbate the issue. And again, mm -hmm. our, our society does not think 
that you know being a a naturalistic based society that endorses an evolutionary perspective we don't even recognize the existence of things that are non-physical particularly the soul and the spiritual realm so if i say that there may be a demonic reason for why these physiological things are occurring in most people's minds they're going to put that over in the tin foil you know the, the tin foil hat folder and the reality is mm-hmm. this can actually probably this is in my opinion probably more often the issue than it is purely just a physical issue yes i would agree which makes me wonder why are we again going back then as a solution and using occult based methodologies to treat a spiritual issue it's a good question i would like to take this moment to talk about our sponsor no i'm just kidding <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um <laughs> jp morland we've talked about him a lot who's not our sponsor something that a lot he's not our sponsor yeah. Um, but he, what a lot of people don't know, unless they, they follow him real closely is he suffered from anxiety and depression and he lost a ton of people on his side of the family from suicide because of that same disorder. Okay. He, he wrote a book and I'll put a link to it, um, in, uh, Patreon and stuff, but it's called finding quiet. My story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that, that brought peace. So this is one of the smartest men and has such a love for Jesus Christ and an understanding of the supernatural. And he has a book about overcoming anxiety. If there's anyone out there that might be struggling with anxiety and depression, I highly recommend this book. Um, Someone in my family has struggled with intense depression and anxiety for a long, long time, like almost as long as I can remember. And she read this book and got a lot out of it. So I don't know because I haven't struggled with that, but people in my family have and say that it's very beneficial. So just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. We ready to move forward to the next one? I was going to ask you if you had anything else. Oh, I got, there's a ton more, a ton more. Keep going. Shooting at Virginia Tech in 2007. Sung Hoi Chow, he actually wrote in his um, like suicide letter or whatever, you caused me to do this. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he was on Prozac and Praxel. And Praxel, guess what? It's another selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Sounds like these SSRIs are a big deal. Mm-hmm. Why are we yeah, inhibiting they are. serotonin uptake? Seems like God may have devi- I, de- designed the brain to run off of serotonin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another school shooting is the Northern Illinois University shooting in 2008. Stephen uh, Kazmierzak, I think is how you say his last name. He was on Prozac. Other mass shootings outside of school, but dealing with, with young people. We have uh, Patrick Purdy was 25 when he <clears throat> committed his mass shooting and he was on the antidepressant. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Try that. Emitriptyline. There you go. Emitriptyline. Don't know. Uh, Andrew. What? Amitriptyline. 
Is it? It depends. Why'd you have me try it if you know how to say it? I don't know how to say it. Because the funny things with these is it depends on where you put the pause. And it's Uh guesswork. The emphasis? See what I'm saying? (laughs) I got a friend of mine. uh, She's a registered nurse. Good friend of mine. And one of the funniest things is that I go to say this stuff and she goes, what are you talking about? And then she'll say it. I'm like, you act (laughs) like there was a, I was supposed to know that's where you break this up. This is, this is satanic language. We know this. None of this makes sense. This is not English. Mm -hmm. Like trying to say these is, is (laughs) horrible. Like who comes (laughs) up with this? This isn't even Latin. This is witchcraft. That's what Clearly. it is. <laughs> it begins with the the very word itself. It has to be. These are spells. I'm convinced. Amy tripped the line. Uh, I'm melting. <laughs> um, and I'll put a link to this too, because I, I found uh, the school shootings I did a lot of research for. Um, but these other ones, I found an article that listed, I think, 37 mass shootings. Um. Who, who were on pharmaceutical drugs. So there'll be more details as to what happened if you're interested in that. I just didn't want to make this episode about uh, the gruesome reality, but I just wanted to highlight that all of these people were actually on antidepressants. You know, we've got a couple of people that follow that uh, message us on, on uh, Instagram and know they're going to say something because they're nurses. They're going to definitely talk about this. Okay. Yeah. Like you guys, butchered every one of these. <laughs> Uh, hopefully there's forgiveness out there. Uh, but moving to the next one, we have uh, Andrew Ingoldiner. Ingoldinger. <laughs> I'm not even just messing up the not medicine. I'm messing up the point. people's names. Uh, but uh, he was about 36, and he was on matrazapine and transidone. See, I was going to say miratazapine. Uh, maybe. Peen. Well, I'm saying pine. Okay. Uh, Luke Woodman, he was only 16 for his mass shooting. He was on Prozac. Christopher Pittman, he was 12. He was on Praxel and Zoloft. And this, I I also want to highlight the fact that this isn't just, we're not just saying, oh, causation is, or uh, correlation is causality. And this isn't necessarily um, single factor analysis because we've looked at what the drugs actually do. You know what I mean? We're not, um, it's not a straw man. These are the warnings on the drugs. We know that it increases suicidal thoughts and aggression. Doubles in, in adolescents that take these. Aaron Alexis was 34. He was on Transidone. Uh, Jason Hoffman, he was 18. He was on Celexa and Effexor. And there's a ton more. But this is just to to paint the picture. It's chemical engineering. We're not just... It is. Yeah. Uh, literally, we're playing around with chemicals. Not certain of how they affect the body fully. And I think it's so fascinating mm-hmm. that in taking these things, one of the, the side effects is hearing voices. Yeah. Who's voice, who's speaking? Mm-hmm. Like it, it puts Western medicine in a, in a crossroads. It does. You know, is this the person having different voices in their head? Or are these other I mean, entities? that's what they try to tell yeah, you. That's what they try to tell right. you. But if that's the mm-hmm. case, why does your drug produce multiple versions of my voice? And why does it produce it in a way that I cannot recognize that it's my own voice? Right. And then you look at the the LSD studies and you have 30 people tripping out and hallucinating about the same entity like that. You're, you, you were seeing something otherworldly. Exactly. You're not just, 
creating it whole cloth. I mean, this whole hearing of voices to me would speak way more of you open yourself up to a spiritual realm by by agreeing to take products that are developed and in a cult fashion. And is it is it weird that we don't find that? How do I want to say that there's a like a grain to the to the universe? I think Rich Nathan used to say. What do you mean? And well, that um, like going with the grain. Okay. It, it'll make it'll make more sense when I say this. If it, if we're all just randomly here and the and the brain has no oughtness to it, why why don't we just randomly have things that make you less aggressive? And suicidal. You know, mm-hmm. why is everything this downward spiral? All the side effects are a downward spiral. All of the voices are a downward spiral. You know, all of this is going one direction. It seems pretty apparent whose hands are behind it. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's crazy. And I didn't want to, uh, I want to make sure that people didn't think that we were trying to justify the atrocities or take away from personal responsibility or anything like that. We're just trying to explain the detriment of these drugs. And the reason for these drugs is because culture has been shifted to damage children and people. You know, the problem actually begins at home, your sexuality, your marriage, your children, all of this is under attack and it has to be preserved because literally the future of our nation hangs in the balance. You're absolutely right, man. And you know, this attack on our children is really coming from multiple fronts. It's not just chemological warfare. You know, it's psychological. Mm-hmm. These are psyops that are being enacted. And, and it's happening at one of the most vulnerable times in a person's developmental process, which to me, again, is not accidental. That's a, a tactical decision. It's very strategic. strategic. And, you know, if we can't be methodical enough to engage each of them, you know, tact- tactfully, and successfully, that it's not going to matter how many people we try to tell about this stuff. You know, all they're basically going to end up hearing from us is this. And you don't want that. No, no. That, <laughs> that's really uh, the sound of, a, of a, a person that doesn't have much to offer to this discussion. You know, we say this a lot. Look, you're going to get asked questions. This is where this war really heats up is in conversation. If mm-hmm. we're not conversating with people, then pharmaceutical companies are doing the, the conversating. Then politicians are doing the conversating. Luciferians are doing the conversating. The church has to get reengaged in the conversation. And we got to do it from an informed position. We have to be willing to answer questions, but we also have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Because they're going to come up at, at inopportune times. They're going to ask questions that we really need to have answers for like we've got to decide is our society really focused on raising children the way that God intended or are there agendas that are in place to usurp the role of the parent while offering toxic non-biblical solutions that destroy the nuclear family you know it's it's not a it's not a both and situation it, it's really a either or are we focused mm-hmm. on raising our children the way that God intended for us because that that has a lot of 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 implications attached to it you know raising the children Mm -hmm. the way that god intended also seems to imply creating the child the way that god intended 
are we walking that process yeah. all the way through from from inception all the way through to to the end? Are we as a culture focused on that? Absolutely not, in my opinion. I, uh, we have such mm-hmm. a weird relationship with children in our society. Yeah. It's a very strange, convoluted relationship. Inside the belly of the mother, the child doesn't mean much. Okay. It's a very dangerous, weird place. Mm-hmm. The mother can decide to do legally in the United States what she wants to do with the child. But if you get in an accident and you accidentally kill the mother or you kill the child, you can be charged with double homicide. I, I don't know why. I don't mm-hmm. know why in one sense the child's life is really valuable. In another sense, it's not. When the child exits the wound, if they were to die by a school shooting, it's a tragedy. Right? But if they die within the wound of the mother, uh, it's a political issue. Mm-hmm. If we really care about children to the point that we want to end hunger and we don't want starving children and we run we run ads at night to have you contribute to those programs, but then we spend more money going to space than we do on any hunger, I, I don't understand. Where's the value of the child? Mm-hmm. Children really are under attack in our society. And there there are obvious agendas that are put in place to usurp the role of the parent. Listen, we talked about in our in, in session one and two of the Satanic Control Matrix. When we were doing our um, episodes one and two, we were doing our Ultra series way back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We talked about some of the things that these proponents of, of the demonically inspired educational system have said is their goal for our, our children. And one of the the more alarming things that they have said is this idea that diet injections and cord injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable. And any serious criticisms of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. This comes from Bertrand Russell on the impact uh the impact of science on society. Bertrand Russell, okay. very, very influential philosopher in his time. You you can't hear something like that and just dismiss it like, oh, well, that's just one guy's opinion. Not when it's coming from someone that's as influential as he. And, right. and right. not when there are programs put in place that help carry that out. You know, what you eat, what you put in your body, what the court says is all going to combine in an early age, an early age, which means we're dealing with children, to produce the mm-hmm. sort of character and the sort of beliefs that authorities consider desirable. Now, what authorities? Are we talking about scriptural authority? Nope. Not at all. This is going to combine to produce what they deem desirable. This is part of the the uh, agendas being worked against us, not just their children, but actually against us as a, as a species. And this is mm-hmm. huge. You know, this all lends to destroying the nuclear family, which God put up. But that's also a goal of the New World Order. This is why this is listed in a plaque in the United Nations, because it was codified under, uh, I believe it was Alice Bailey. 
And one of the things mm-hmm. that she talked about was destroying the family model. Right? Yeah, the, she the did. The whole nuclear family. Yep. We covered that in a couple of different episodes. But yeah, she talked about reduce parental authority over the children. Okay. Right? Break the communication between parent and child so that parents don't pass on their Christian traditions to the children, which will liberate children from the quote unquote bondage of the parents' tradition. <laughs> right? This this isn't accidental. No, not at all. You know, destroy her third goal, destroy the Judeo Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. You know, it's oppressive. This is what she said. It's oppressive and that it's oppressive and that the family is the core of the nation. If you break the family, you break the nation. Liberate the people from the confines of this structure. One of the key ways you do that is promote sexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Another way is to use advertising industry, use media, TV, magazines, film industry to promote sexual enjoyment as the highest pleasure in humanity. Right. This is going to produce children, but it's also going to produce children in environments that they're not really wanted. This leads to trauma that they experience. And that trauma is some of the stuff that we were talking about just a moment ago. These are the things that perpetuate this entire system that leads to not just a breakdown of the family unit, but it leads to a breakdown of the person's life. These are Mm -hmm. really big agendas that are being enacted against us. And we really have to take a step back to figure out do we want to be a part of this or do we want to be part of the change? You know, there's this um, <laughs> that whole thing that you were playing earlier about we're coming for your children. Uh-huh. It reminds me of the scene from Transformers when Optimus Prime was like going after the children was a bad idea. Taking the children was a bad move. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's like the, I think that's the, the idea that we, we should have in our minds. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't really a safe place. Now, I, I remember there's a movie I watched called, ah, uh, uh, man, what was this? The Rock with Nicolas Cage. Okay. And his girlfriend at the time was like, uh, Stanley, I'm pregnant. But before she told him she was pregnant, he was like, man, work was crazy. I honestly think anybody thinking of bringing a child into this world should be charged with a crime. I mean it, honey. The world is being fenexed to hell on a handcart. I really believe that anyone's even thinking about having a child in this world is coldly considering an act of cruelty. I know, I'm rambling, I'm complaining, I'm sorry. What's your news, baby? I'm pregnant. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. We didn't mean what you just said, did you? When? Just right now, when you were talking about bringing a child into the world and having it be an act of cruelty. I meant it at the time. Stanley, at the time, you said it seven and a half seconds ago. Well, gosh, kind of a lot's happened since then. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that this that there was so much going on in this world that I can understand that that idea. Uh-huh. That wanting to bring a child into this world might be considered a, a criminal act. But at least that person recognizes that this is a hostile environment there do believe it or not. There are people that don't think we're really, things are as bad as we say they are. They don't think we're really as bad off as we're trying to open our eyes. And be like, yeah, you really are. Really? Yeah. People, they, they don't believe it. It's like, you know, for, for people like that, that aren't convinced that you really are in a hostile environment, then maybe they'd benefit 
from an old school safety briefing to snap you tight, right? Something a little bit like this. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. You've got to obey the rules. And the rules of engagement. We got three. Number one, educate yourself. You got to know your war doctrine. You've got to know what the Bible says and not just what it says, but you have to know how that applies and how to work it into your life. Right. It doesn't mean taking it out of context. It means understanding the context so you can effectively act from it. Exactly. So one of the things scripture tells us is that you are to direct the path of your children. Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children into the right path. And when they're old, they will not leave it. Now, one of the things about this scripture is it's it's not descriptive, right? It doesn't mean if you teach your child the right thing, they're never going to do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's prescriptive. You as a parent have the responsibility from the beginning to teach and guide your child in the right direction. And chances are they won't leave it, that that's where they're going to stay. So it says when they're older, they mm-hmm. won't leave it. In between right, adolescence, right. all of that, you know adulthood or pre pre adulthood, they might stray a bit. But once uh-huh. that prefrontal cortex and that frontal lobe gets established and fully developed and they reached cognitive adulthood, that should be established enough deep in them that they don't leave that path anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just thinking like it's 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 also not like standing behind your child and just pointing, right? Like the condition of your home, the way that you treat them, whether there is abuse or neglect or the condition of your household, like all of those things are working in conjunction to point your child in whatever direction they're going to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, that should be taken into consideration as well. And some 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 grace for parents that, that are really trying to do it right and their, their children don't seem to be where they should be. I think Adam and Eve is an excellent example of the fact that God being... The the uh, the parent and doing everything right still doesn't mean that your children are going to listen all the time. So it, it it is a difficult walk for sure. But scripture warns us that unrestraint is actually a side effect of abandoning truth. Again, we'll hit up Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, that is no revelation of God and His Word. The people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is He who keeps God's laws. This is interesting to me because we watch it happen. As you take the Bible and prayer out of schools, as you begin to eradicate, you do the whole Alice Bailey thing that you were saying, you know, destroy the Judeo-Christian framework and way of life and family model. And you see that an unrestraint tends to just come in and fill that place of do whatever you want, follow your heart, all of that stuff then you see the pharmaceuticals increase. You know, you see suicide and, and all of these things go up because there's nothing to restrain them, which is one of the things that the word of God is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Scripture anticipates the importance of continual education. This, this is one of my favorites. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children 
speaking of the the word and the, the laws of God, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, this sounds kind, this can sound Christianese real quick, you know, that we should only ever be talking about Jesus and church stuff. But I think it's only Christianese in that type of 1920s fundamentalist movement type of box that you put it in. Mm-hmm. But if you really look, like if we're talking about the Bible and how we should always be discussing it, then it helps us understand that, you know, we should we should be uh, leery of the Jews that, that say they're Jews but aren't, right? Like there's so many aspects of the Bible that actually specifically address the things that we're going to today and help us understand what we're going through and how to get out of it, that yes, it absolutely needs to par- be a part of our thinking and conversation when we're standing up and when we're sitting and when we're walking and that that's it because as soon as we get away from that we end up with end up with unrestraint mm-hmm. and a prison is full of people <laughs> who were unrestrained but now have to be restrained unrestrained is not what we want for society that's a good point. um Thank you. I, I think it's fascinating that the particular verse that you chose uh, I've been doing some reading this week in this actual book in Deuteronomy and okay. I, I think it's fascinating where this verse was given where this command was given and this is given to Israel just prior to them going into the promised land. All right. Now that kind of gives the context in one direction, but let me revise it a little bit. This is part of the marching orders that Israel is given as they are about to start a military conquest, displacing the, the sieged areas that the enemy has under his control. And actually establishing the kingdom of God throughout that entire land. So this is given to an army that is in the midst of a hostile environment. And this is part of the protective mechanisms given so that they do not become infected with the same ideas that the surrounding culture already had infected in it, which warranted that culture being displaced. One of the things that was said was don't sacrifice your children. Don't offer your children mm. in the fires to Molech. Yeah. Right? But your your children are a treasure. They're not to be sacrificed. Could it be said of mm-hmm. our culture not to sacrifice your children on the altar of pharmacia, on the altar of pharmacy? Yeah. Changing for them sure. in ways that ultimately leads to their destruction, whether that's incarceration or whether that's even their actual death after committing some some gruesome crime. I think we really mm-hmm. have to take that more serious because, like I said, that was given in a at a time when they were about to start a military conquest. And that takes us to rule two, because part of that military conquest, if it was going to be successful, will rely on the fact that they achieved the second rule of engagement, which is not allowing any ground to be ceded to their enemy once they acquired it. They mm-hmm. would take ground and keep it. That's critical because the way ground is lost today is primarily through the exchange of ideas, cancerous ideas, ideas that are not formed on the authority of scripture. They're not formed on the wisdom of the most high. They are formed on satanic ideas that are, that are corrupt at their core and they corrupt those who ingest it and practice it and carry it out. And they don't do it. Well, let me say they do it in a very particular fashion. Normally it's not all at once. You know, here's the thing. We've said this so many times here. 
Satan is a master of taking an inch and turning into a mile. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the mentality of a person that does that. They're very skilled at subtle advancements. Look, don't taste, taste, you know, look, don't taste, taste, don't touch, touch, don't swallow. However that thing goes. Uh (laughs) Right. And you're like, it's a steady progression. It's why you can't give up the inch. No, there's a wonderful clip that we have of, of it just shows how the mindset of people that are willing to fight for an inch have to be in order to win that inch. And once you pay close attention to what they say, because this is how you have to fight when you're in a battle of inches. On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that inch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that inch. Because that's what living is. There's six inches in front of your face. Now, what are you going to do? We got to be just as charged to steal the inches back to protect those inches so that everyone we get, we don't give back. And not only that, to seek out more. As I said, that you can tell in this fight, it's the person, the one that's going to be successful is the one that's willing to die for that inch. Mm-hmm. Which means we got a question to ask, are we willing to die to take that inch? Because the Bible gives us leeway to start taking inches, but it does require our death. And from a certain perspective, we can't, we can't be trying to hold on to our lives where we don't want to look a certain way in public, where we're scared to have mm-hmm. a conversation, where we're scared to suffer some sort of persecution, whether that's a, a, a strike on a, on a social media platform, whether that's somebody looking at you like you're a fuddy duddy, Whatever it is, are you willing to have that? Are you willing to fight for that inch? Because if you are, the Bible gives you three strategies to achieve it. Number one, expose what the enemy is doing. Ephesians 5.11 tells us, don't have any fellowship with the works of darkness, but expose them. Secondly, you oppose what the enemy is doing. James 5.7 tells us, subject yourself to the authority of scripture. And then you use the scripture's authority to resist the devil. And then finally, you tear it down. You depose it, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Demolish every argument and idea, every pretension that sets itself up against what God has said is true. That means every lie you encounter, we should be tearing that down. That's Mm -hmm. how you gain inches, and you turn those inches into miles. That's how you gain victory in this whole social battle. But that requires us to do something else that's a little uncomfortable for people. 
And that is you've got to pray like it's all up to God and work like it's all up to you. In fact, that's the third rule. It is the third rule, but it is uncomfortable, but 100% necessary. Doing either one, just it's, it's a, I don't want to say it's a balancing act, but it's much like that. All your effort on one side is going to cause the ship to tip over. So some of the things that I think that we can pray for is one, we need to be praying for our children. The ones who are safe at home, the ones who are out in the world in the public school system, the ones that are being trafficked, like all of them, there is a war on our children. We should be praying for them. I think that we should pray for the wisdom and opportunity to help seed truth in the youth because they they need it just as much, if not more than anybody else, because they're up against it. Mm-hmm. Three, I think we need to pray against the spirits behind these agendas that are hunting our children. We have spiritual authority. We should start using it to get those inches, like you were saying. I think it's so interesting that you said hunting our children. You know, there's, okay. there's a section, section of scripture, I believe it is in Isaiah, but it talks about those who hunt the souls of men. Okay. And I think that is something that we see happening. But I'd like to add one other thing that I think we should do, and that is I think we should repent. Look, if if we... It's one thing to not know what to do. It's something totally different once you know to choose not to do it. But I think that as we we educate ourselves, as we get more educated about these things, you find out, hey, you know what? I, I have been the type of person that's putting my kid in front of in front of the TV, in front of the iPad, in front of the iPhone, you know, hoping that mm-hmm. by doing that I get a moment to myself, but not realizing that it's creating a lot of damage psychologically in them, impeding their ability to to socialize and, and interact with other human beings, uh, impeding their ability to absorb from me as the parent, proper behavioral methods, facial cues, you know, all of that stuff that happens when you have close relational exchanges with a child that's being replaced with a synthetic exchange with humanity through through technology, through iPads and TVs and things like that, I think we got to be willing to repent. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, I was too busy. Or I, I, I repent of the fact that I allowed my, my schedule to get so congested that I didn't have the bandwidth to, to come home and, and, and be the parent that you blessed me to be. Or I repent for the fact that I hadn't managed my mind enough and developed the type of cognitive discipline that I could switch out of the demands of work and the stress of coming home into the demands of a domestic world and being a parent. And instead, you know, relied on the assistance from television and television programming and allowing those entities to have more access to my child than I do and stealing ideas that I know are hostile to what you reveal in in scripture. I think we got to be willing to be that humble and not only repent, but then let's start to, the steady process of gaining those inches by making those small mm-hmm. changes. You yeah, know, we, okay, for sure. We come back the next day, we're tired. You know, we got to find something different. No, we're not spending the time on the iPad, but I want iPad. You're not getting it. You know, start cutting back mm-hmm. or reducing. Maybe it's 30 minutes less this day and a few minutes less that day and until we start weeding out. No, we're not doing iPad. We're not bringing devices to the table. We're not sitting in front of the mm-hmm. TV when we eat. We're going to sit at a table. You know, you make steady changes to make the correction. And it's possible. Yeah. It's possible to correct it. It may be very difficult to do it all at once. But we won't do any of it if we don't acknowledge the fact that how how we're doing it now is not the right way to do it. That's a good point. Thank you, man. Yeah. 
Other things we can do to work, we need to realize that sexual immorality is being used to destroy the family model. Christopher. This includes... Are you there? Yes. <laughs> Hello? Breaking up again. <laughs> oh, I'm right here. Can you hear me? Uh, can not you hear clearly. Me? <laughs> You're saying something about some idols? Uh, no. Oh, see? Maybe. I told you we're breaking up. <laughs> but no, it's being sexual immorality is being used to destroy the family mob. True. This includes, excuse me, all kinds of things. But at its core, if you aren't married, don't have sex. There goes that, that, that static again. <laughs> I don't know what it is. No, nah, dude, I'm joking, but you're, you're 100% on. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's rough. I was there. I was young and dumb. Uh, but if you listen to this episode, uh, you're not dumb anymore. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it seems extreme, but the possibility of possibly creating a mass murderer just because you want to knock boots, uh, that's beyond childish. It, it's criminal. Yeah. Yeah. And avoid that. Just get married. Right, just get married. I mean, that, that's and that, that's the that's the the worst possible solution. <laughs> you know, the next one would be prior to that, ask God for self control, and for yeah. that, ask yeah. Him to send you the right mate to get married. But mm-hmm. please don't sit there burning in your own own lust and decide to engage in an activity that is designed. It has a high degree of probability of creating a human being. And not be mm-hmm. ready for all the stuff that that requires so that you can be an effective parent. Yeah. But but that's the other thing. If you are married, get it together, man. Or woman. <laughs> you know, all of your actions severely impact your children. If you're married, stay married. If you fight a lot, stop fighting. Like these things are adverse childhood experiences that create traumas, that damage their brain, that when they go out into the world, the world is going to say, take these medications. A lot of which doubled suicidal thoughts and aggression. And like this, we're not playing anymore. I've got friends that, uh, you know, you, you, I was telling my, my older sister, you expect a certain amount of buffoonery between married couples. Right, we're all falling. Okay. We all have got issues. Right, right. It wasn't exactly the specific language I used, but seeing how this, you know, <laughs> this show is, in, is is oriented toward a particular audience. You know, there's a certain mm-hmm. amount of buffoonery that you expect, but then there there's excess buffoonery that's outside the lines. Yes, yes. Right, there's things that are that are just completely off limits. And people have to realize that it's it's not about just setting up an arbitrary boundary. These type of behaviors that are toxic not only affect the person that's committing that 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 issue and that crime, they affect the victims. And many times the victims are not just primary victims, they're secondary victims. Mm-hmm. In this, you know, it could be the person that it, let's take as a as an example, maybe you're dealing with a spouse that incites arguments with you and then calls you out of name, calls you out of character, creates chaos and tension, is cussing at you and all sorts of things like that. Okay, well, mm-hmm. the person who receives those cuss words and, and that action, they're directly affected. But if you're in an environment where there are children, the children absorb that. They absorb the energy, they absorb the behavior, and it becomes their norm. Mm-hmm. It becomes a practice behavior that they are absorbing and go, okay, this is how you're supposed to act. Yeah. 
Like in a household, two people have to be the adults. Mm-hmm. Have to be. Yes. You can't choose to be the child because things didn't go your way. You can't choose to be the child because you're horny. You can't choose to be the child because it's that time of the month or your hormones are out of whack. Right, right. You don't get the option. Right? These are not excuses to no longer be the child. I mean, no longer be the adult. You can't choose to be a child because mm-hmm. you had a bad day at work or somebody cut you off. You can't choose to be the child because things are not going your way. You're the adult. That means you have to adult, especially mm-hmm. when you have children around that are watching because children absorb so much. Yes. Then it comes years later. We want to go. I don't know what happened. I don't know why you act this way. I don't who, where, whoever showed you that behavior. You're mm-hmm. like, really? You, you want to know, dad, who showed me that behavior? <laughs> really, mom? Yeah. You want to know where I picked that up from? Gee, I wonder. Yeah. And then you have to watch the siblings as well. Because siblings demonstrate behavior. You know, it just gets down to, as human beings, we have to behave in the way our creator has set up for us. It's so critical. Because when we don't, we create so many different issues. Yeah. And and if you need help, then get it. There's all type, And I... I know that it's way easier to say as someone that has gone through counseling and marital counseling and someone that has had promiscuous, a promiscuous past, you know, and had sex outside of wedlock and stopped that in the midst of a relationship. Like I've, I've walked all of this out and it is not easy, but we need to stop making excuses for it. If you need help, get help. You know, I don't know how is not any longer as an adult an adequate excuse. Find out how. Right. You know, there are tools. Maybe reach out to Jason or I. You know, send us an email. Let's talk at Operation Red Pill at ORPpodcast.com. Do you know our email address? I I was I was like three sentences ahead in my brain. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's just our name, not <laughs> my bad. No, let's talk at ORPpodcast.com. And maybe we can help point you in the right direction. You know, we're not just pointing fingers. We're actually here to help. If you've done all that, well, I know a lot of people that have done all that and still share the show. And I thank you for that. It has been a, a great thing being a part of a podcast that has such a fantastic listenership. I constantly feel like goose at this point in the show. What do you mean? We. We. Yes, yes. We thank you. My bad, yes, my bad. Yes. We thank you. We are appreciative. Yes, yes. We are grateful to be part of this podcast. You might get people my, my out there bro. listening like, you know, Christopher is really grateful. But that other a-hole <laughs> behind the mic. <laughs> that Jason yeah, guy. He never he needs seems some to have any gratitude for this. <laughs> uh, my mistake. I'll get better, bro. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm being humble enough to repent and, and, and change my hey, ways. that's cool, Drax. I like that. <laughs> Uh, but another thing you can do if if you've gotten to this point of the podcast and you just need more Operation Red Pill, maybe consider joining our patron. We have three tiers. Tier number one, Cover Fire, for five bucks a month. It gets you all of our episodes, bonus episodes, full-length ones of ones that only partially got out for free, and all of our links and resources that we use to make the episode possible. So that's all kinds of more information that you can get. Then the second tier is our Overwatch tier. Seven bucks a month gets you everything in tier one 
plus access to our studio notes, the notes that we put together and look at as we go through the episode. And there's tons of good stuff in there. A lot of images usually uh, helps have things make sense. And it's just a, a excellent tool and kind of a backstage access to the, to what we do here at ORP. And then the last one, the big daddy tier, bring the rain tier, 10 bucks a month gets you everything in the first two tiers. Plus the exclusive opportunity to join Jason and I in a zoom call with the other $10 patrons. It's great. We talk about current events, just regular, interesting things, open it up for questions. It's, it's always a good time. And here's the last thing that you can do. Remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is we are never alone and we're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving God who intervenes on our behalf. Because one day our government won't be trying to steal our children. One day our children will be free from their trauma and mental illness. One day, the ultimate father will hold his own and smite those who are conducting this child abuse. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still got to go get them. Now, our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that could be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen up, you take fire, I expect you to get fire. And I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you. And we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4.